Let's get sweaty. Hello and welcome to the Shemu Dojo Show, Episode 3. I'm James Brown and I'm joined as always by interview extraordinaire Matthew Oliver. <laughs> How's thanks. it going, Matt? Yeah, thanks for that uh, nice intro there. How's it going, James? Yeah, all good, man. Uh, nice weather here today. I don't know if it's the same your end, but nice sunny day for change. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I actually got out into the garden for the first time this year. <laughs> Oh, lovely. Yeah, we've just been for a little walk, actually. Um, just found a place on my phone using Google Maps and uh, went for a little walk through some woods. My wife, daughter and three dogs. A bit chaotic, but yeah, it, was, it was nice for a change. Get back in the outside, outdoors. Yeah, definitely. Well worth doing. Okay, excellent. Well, for this episode, we wanted to take a thorough analysis of Shenmue 3. Uh, basically, the game as a whole and uh, a bit of a deep dive into the story. So I've personally completed the game fully uh, twice now, I'd say, and I've played bits and pieces here and there. I believe you've completed the game about four times. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, four times and sort of played bits and pieces um, either for video capture or on stream here or there. Oh, yeah, well, you did all those bloody screenshots for the media <laughs> section, didn't you? Take a picture of all the in-game oh. items and stuff. Uh, so yeah, it's a little bit of a plug there. If you want to head over to the shemudojo.com and uh, hit up the media section, the Shemu Three section of the media section, and there's a a ton of bits and pieces that Matt's put together there, taking screenshots of every in-game item, like I say, all the backup rewards and Chobuchans and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, so hopefully between us, we'll be able to hold a decent enough discussion on each of the scenes throughout the game. I figured what we could do is work through a couple of guides to follow the game. We're going to start with Bailey Village, of course, and uh, depending on how long this episode runs for or if there you know, becomes a natural point to stop, we might break it up into two parts. But you'll know what we did by uh, the name of the title of this episode, if we break it up into two parts or not. But before we get into all of that, we're going to run through some of the more recent Shemu news since the last episode. And first up, we've actually had a, a random piece of merch that's just uh, appeared out of nowhere really but it's it's basically the the original uh, limited run games Shenmue 3 final record soundtrack the the curated one but this time it's in a, a fluorescent glow-in-the-dark green apparently so uh, this is available on a french website called just for games and i don't believe that they actually shipped to the uk because i've had to uh, figure out an alternative way of ordering this but it is available it's 54.99 euros so quite pricey really i don't can't remember the price of the limited run games uh release but uh if you're a shemu collector like we are and you you want to get all the different variants or whatever this is a, a green fluorescent version of that curated soundtrack there exactly the same all the same sort of songs and stuff and we'll put the link for that particular record in the show notes and description, wherever you're viewing this from, if you're watching this on YouTube, we'll put the link in the description. Second, we've had quite a, a lot of tweets from user Dubuita underscore JP, who's got uh, basically a, a Twitter account there. It 
I think it. I don't know if it's an actual shop on Dubuita Street. Do, do you know, Matt? If it's a shop or I, I don't know. I re- I'm not sure. I or whether it's one of the public service sectors or something like that that are running it. I don't know, but they were selling a very nice item, which I'm sure you're going to in a second. Yeah, well, I just got the Twitter bite up here actually. So what basically what they've got this the selling. Um, it's basically like an amulet. If you remember, especially from Shemu One at the end of the game when Nozomi gives Ryo that amulet, apparently it's it's kind of like a yearly tradition which grants whoever's given this amulet, you know, good luck basically. And this Dubuita account that's popped up has basically this the selling these amulets that they've they specially made for this. Well, it's well basically it says it's a project. To create a new amulet of Yokosuka, uh, Chinjigami Suadai Shrine, cross Dubuita Dori, with members of the Dubuita Dori Homachi Youth Association and young volunteers in the shopping district. So, sounds like it's kind of like a, a nice youth project here. It says, Be positive in difficult times, like Dubuita Street, a symbol of post war reconstruction. In cooperation with shrines and towns, we will create amulets that are loved by the community and the profits will go to projects that will energize the community. Yeah, so it sounds like a good, kind of like a good deed sort of thing. They're taking sales of this amulet and putting it back into the community. So, if obviously you're a fan of Shemu, like we are, and You've always wanted to go on that Shemu pilgrimage to Dubuita Street or Yokosuka as a whole. Basically, these are selling uh, amulets that are actually from Dubuita Street. And uh, the organization there have created these especially. And I think it does actually... Well, I don't know if the the, the blue one that we've got says Dubuita on it, but it definitely says Yokosuka on it. And on the reverse, there's like a a dragon, I think, I believe. Like a dragon with... It says, good luck. It's like a Tori Gate and Mount Fuji in the background. It's really nice little item if you're a Shemu fan and you've always wanted uh, an amulet from Nozomi. There's a kind of like a recreation amulet thing here, which is really cool to get. And I, I believe they're also selling a black version. And I've heard that there's going to be a third version as well, which is like a set of three basically in the end. But you can pick up the blue one right now, and the black one is a pre-order, I believe. Uh, again, we'll put the link in the show notes and the description if you want to go off and pick yourself one of them up. Next, we've got... Oh, I want to talk a bit about Lemon Haze's project. Uh, Lemon Haze and his team have... Um, I don't know if you've you've been keeping up with Shamu News uh, recently, but there's been... It's picked up quite a lot of steam, actually, really, hasn't it? it it's a project called Dragon and Phoenix Collection, and it's basically uh, going to take your Shemu 1 and 2 game that you've got on your, your PC, your Steam, wherever, and um, up-res it to <laughs> Unreal 4, believe it or not. So obviously Shemu 3 is using the Unreal 4 engine, and what Lemonese and his team have done is basically some sort of magic wizardry and popped out Shemu 1 and 2 in Unreal 4 engine, and it's obviously taken advantage of all the the uh, the latest graphics and uh, weather effects, ray tracing, even those sort of things. And he's posted some screenshots that you can view on the Doja forums. And again, we'll put the link uh, to those screenshots in the description. But they just look incredible, don't they, Matt? Yeah, it's um, a hell of a project, hell of an undertaking. Totally. But the screenshots that that have 
been shown publicly are absolutely fantastic and it's picked up some traction as we as, as you've been saying james and we ended up on ign exactly of all pla- of all places so there, there's a there's a wider interest in in how this project sort of goes on and and matures and and where where it goes from here i mean there's no solid release date yet but i mean to be fair they're they're all people with their own jobs and lives so i can i can completely understand that but the progress they've made so far is like nothing short of of um fantastic quite honestly yeah and there's some definite definite excitement towards it that you know it's evident by the people's reactions to the screenshots and stuff you know it's like say ign and other websites have even noticed how great of a project this looks so if you want to keep tabs on that you can follow the devlogs and uh, there's a news post actually on the front page of the the dojo main site that will link it to the devlog it's on the forums and uh, also there's a, a new twitter account for the project which is at shemu c and it's it's basically going to provide updates throughout for this shemu dragon phoenix collection project so if you remember last episode when we were talking about Shemu 3's Kickstarter, did actually make a little bit of a mistake at one point by suggesting that it was George Kitchen, who was the backer MPC and also the, the, the owner of one of the food vendor stalls in Niawu, when it was actually Joe, Joe Kitchen. So sorry, guys for the mix-up but to be fair you are twins and you'll look alike (laughs) (laughs) so anyway he's talking about the kitchen brothers both of them this time they've been hard at work on some incredible shemu music and also videos to go along with them which again we'll link you can find on youtube and the videos themselves are actually pretty insane to me because the editing that's gone into them to make them look like it's part of gameplay. I did, I did ask, actually, if, if they'd muddied the game or it was just editing, and I think it was Joe that replied and said that it was it was literally just video editing that made it look like they'd managed to somehow get into the game files and get characters to do some of the things they, they wanted to do for the to, to go along with the music kind of thing. But the music itself, they've actually used some of the original equipment and instruments that the Shenmue music composers used at obviously back in 1998 or 1999, whenever they were creating the music for Shenmue. So that is why the music that they've created, the Kitchen Brothers have created, actually sounds really professional. It sounds pretty much like Shenmue music that has been unearthed in 2021. It's, you know, it's that closely resembles the, um, the original music and soundtrack. And that's all in part to the dedication of the Kitchen Brothers and obviously the obviously the equipment that they've used to to create this being the same as what they used back in the day. So at some point after we finish this news, uh, we've got quite a lot of news to run through here. But we we are going to play some some of their music as well, just so you can have a, an opportunity to hear that firsthand. And talking about other fan creating music people, uh, Richard Cartledge has again been cranking out music. And he's made some incredible recreations of some of Shemu's iconic music, which you can check out on his YouTube channel. He seems to be cranking about five out a week at the moment. He's <laughs> he's going ham really, and um, again, we'll we'll, we'll play a, a song or two from him as well in this episode. Some great music, and I think he's actually working with Lemon Hayes now on the the, the Phoenix and Dragon project. So that'll be interesting to see some of the, the fresh takes 
on Shemu's original music that Richard Cartledge is actually providing. Finally, one other fan that always puts out some incredible Shemu related music is Rio X, who obviously he's had a um, an awesome music CD that's just come with Shemu World issue one, the unofficial uh, fan magazine created by yours truly, which has now finally all been shipped off to all the Kickstarter backers. It was a crazy long process and pretty much each individual magazine shipment roughly took the best part of about 10 minutes. So it doesn't sound like a lot, but if you times that by about 650 orders and, you know, that was like a month's worth of my own free time in the evenings from literally after putting my daughter to bed and, you know, the, the time in between that to get in bed myself. So we're finally there now and, you know, it's a huge weight and commitment that's off my mind. So I'm going to take a couple of months now, I think, to, to get back into gaming <laughs> and some uh, other Shenmue projects, I think, before getting back to the magazine and st- starting work on issue two. But for everyone that has backed issue one, you know, I'm really pleased. They've, they've already started to hit people's hands and generally everyone's loved what they've received so far. I think when people back the project, they didn't fully realize the quality of the item that I wanted to go for. So I think most people have been pleasantly surprised by it all. And, you know, it's super heartwarming to hear everyone's love and feedback on the project. It's been really rewarding for myself. But on Matt's side of things, you know, obviously he's been doing his interview series and he's cranked out a few more awesome interviews himself over the past month or or so since the last uh, episode. And I mean, Matt, did did you want to talk us through some some of the people that you spoke to and maybe what listeners can expect if they want to go check these out for themselves? Yeah, I mean, the most recent one that I've put out is an hour and a half interview with uh, Michael Huber, of all people. Um, He was nothing but a pleasure to interview. And actually, um, he's just a fan like us at the end of the day. Um, and it turned into an hour and a half Shenmue nerd out <laughs> more than anything else um, <laughs> with, with some sort of structured questions in there around um, sort of thoughts around Shenmue 3, the future of the series, the anime. I'll be honest, when I say most of, the, most of my questions, I just binned off. Yeah. And, and, and just kept, we just went with it. And it was an absolute pleasure to, to interview him. Um, so, yeah, check that out. The link will be in the um, description. Yeah. What I did, well, it's also be in the podcast feed as well. But what I did pick up from that interview with Michael Yuba was just the, you know, some of the passion. And every, as you were running through the games, because you kind of took them game by game and just discussed like some of the points, major points from each of the games, it was just awesome, really, to experience Yuba's reactions to certain scenes and his thoughts and stuff so I, th- I think you did a really good job especially like if you had questions for him and then ended up dropping them to, to you know just get into that sort of passionate <laughs> Shenmue nerd out yeah and I think he, he's very much like I think the rest of the community in terms of how what he wants to see moving forward with, with the Shenmue 4 and the anime he's really excited for the anime actually it's one thing that um we keep talking about it's a bit of a dark horse at the moment more than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. But he seemed really, really amped up for it. And we're going to get him back when the anime is aired to talk, cool. to talk about it and go through it and, 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 and compare it to the games and see, see what's been changed, see what's, what's been added, what's different and, and whether it's better or, or worse or anywhere in between. We'll, we'll see. That's great. And, 
was there other interviews you've done as well? I've, I feel like you've got another one at least. I've recorded another one, which is due to go live on March the 13th. I think it's mm-hmm. nine o'clock UK time. It will go live. Um, yep. It's with Mike Reinhardt, who was the lead beta tester for Shenmue 1 at Sega America at the time. Okay. Um, so we talked through the beta testing process for Shenmue 1. Um, any sort of bugs that they found, the scale of the project, meeting Yu Suzuki, um, and also a little bit about sort of how it compares to testing now. He doesn't work in testing anymore. He's, he works in marketing, and he talks a little bit about how Shenmue steered his career that way, actually, as well. So that that's released on March the 13th. Uh, cool. That sounds interesting. And I don't know if we did talk about Andrew Dickinson, did we, last episode? I don't know. I don't think we did, but... But there's another one as well. Yeah, for anybody who who may have missed this one as well, Andrew Dickinson is part of um, Dreamcast Junkyard. He's um, part of Crossplayers podcast, very much into the Dreamcast retro scene at the moment. And we did a hour and a half sit down interview talking about Shenmue, finding Shenmue, his love for Shenmue, and and all the things in between. Yeah, well, he does that Dreamcast Years podcast as well, and he's obviously. He's done the, the Dreamcast Year's books, well, Year 1 Dreamcast, and his upcoming book is Year 2 of the Dreamcast, and yeah, those books are really cool. They just go through, uh, obviously, those years of the Dreamcast's uh, time in Europe, I believe, and obviously the games that were released throughout that year period. So Year 2 is pretty exciting, obviously, for obvious reasons, because that's when Shemu was released in in Europe in Dreamcast Year Two, so I'm looking forward to to seeing the the Shemu part of that book. Um, talking about that, actually, um, Limited Run Games have sort of released like a little leaflet magazine thing that's they've been sending out with some of the the recent Sega sort of orders like Space Channel Five VR and possibly Streets of Rage and also the upcoming. Uh, Panzer Dragoon remake, uh, at least for the PS4. I think the physical for the Switch has already already been shipped, basically. But I've I've actually got the little magazine here that's got uh, a nice little sort of like a it's kind of like a, a discussion with Yu Suzuki. It's not really an interview though, is it? Really? What would you say it is? It's kind of like a it's, it's just a snippet, isn't it? Of um. Just a little insight into Yuzuzuki and and Shenmue, the process around Shenmue three and and the future of the series. I'll just crank it out quick because it's it's quite a short little interview thing anyway. But uh, it says for Yuzuzuki, the third time is the charm. The Bambi and Shenmue continuing the Dreamcast Grandit Saga in the modern era. Sega Shenmue debuted on the Dreamcast in the final days of 1999, meaning the series is now older than Ryo Hazuki himself, the team protagonist who undertakes an epic journey to learn the truth behind the murder of his father. Time has never deterred the series' visionary Yuzuzuki, who has carried the torch for the series since the 2001 release of Shenmue 2. About five years after Shenmue 2 was released, there was a rise in the number of people asking when a sequel would come out, he says. Community sites were created gathering fans for more than a dozen years. Those voices of support were always there for me. 
Though Suzuki never gave up on his dream of continuing Rio's story, putting a plan into action presented many logistical challenges, not least of which being Sega's complete reconstructuring following the Dreamcast retirement, meaning Suzuki would need to forge ahead on his own an open-world epic. Shenmue was truly cutting-edge gaming experience when it first arrived. Fans would expect nothing less for follow-up, nor would Suzuki want to disappoint them. I agonised over how to secure the sizable budget it would require to get a third game made, he admits, but I was generally moved by all the fans who wanted the Shemu story to go on, even if it was in the form of a novel or anime. Ultimately, Shemu 3 was able to stick to video game form, including a physical release by Limited Run Games, thanks to a highly successful Kickstarter campaign. Still, developer WiseNet YSnet found itself working with a tighter budget than the first game enjoyed. Suzuki says his approach for maintaining an authentic Shemu feel within these constraints was to keep his focus down to earth. I strive to put conversation and everyday life in, into the forefront, he says. Chinese culture and the Japanese way of thinking are just some of the things that one can engage and become familiar with. Along with this, I believe that having instilled my own true feelings, ideas and experiences into China, into my work, has led to making the world of Shenmue unique. While Shenmue 3 is a fateful continuation of Ryo's story, Suzuki felt it necessary to reshuffle his original plans for the narrative to accommodate the series' new form. The original story spans 11 chapters, he says, but if I kept it at a chapter per game, the Shenmue series would not be completed in my lifetime. I reworked the story to incorporate content from multiple chapters. Still, Shemu 3 is far from the tale's end, and Suzuki vows to see it through. As long as the fans are there, I know I will not give up on making the Shemu sequels. So yeah, um, I don't think he's got any concerns about the fans going away at the moment anyway, Matt, do you think? No, and actually, I think it's a funny old thing, isn't it, when obviously we're, what, over a year outside the release of Shenmue 3? And I think now... Um, Fans are coming back into the sort of the tweetathons. There's a real buzz around the community at the moment with all the projects that are going on. I think actually we're in a really good place. We're in a really really good place as a community now, and it's it's just pushing that message home. Um, yeah. Obviously, we know back from when I spoke to Cedric that they're pitching Shenmue Four. We don't know what's come of that. They may not have happened, but we just need to be ramming that message home now. The whole hashtag Let's Get Shenmue Four community wide tweetathon on the fourth of every month. Join in. Yep. Exactly, and obviously we've got the anime to look forward to as well. So as long as the fans keep the back in, uh, you've just heard it there as well. He Suzuki's going to try and do his best to keep making Shamu content, games, uh, anime, whatever, <laughs> basically. So back into the news a little bit now. So if anyone missed it, Friday just gone, which was the 26th of February, myself and Matt did a very special two-hour stream on behalf of Team Radio Sega for the support of Game Blast and the charity Special Effect. Uh, Matt, can you tell us a little bit about what this charity does? Yeah, so special effect for anybody who hasn't come across them are a UK-based charity. And what they do is they augment uh, video game controllers, equipment, etc. for physically disabled um, adults, young people, children. Um, so they can access video games. So they can play games with their feet, their mouth, um, even using eye gaze technology. Um, I'm a firm believer that games should be accessible by anybody. We should all be able to enjoy video games if we want to. And this charity provide that gateway to, to these people that just need a bit of extra help to, to access their video games. And watching some of the videos of the equipment they've put together, it, it's, it's mind-blowing, actually, how how clever and how in, innovative this equipment is. It's such a good, worthy cause. And 
and um, we had a target with our within our team we all we had like a set target to put up we ours was 100 pounds um and we absolutely smashed that um as of recording right now we're at 100 181 pounds 75 pence towards the cause and the whole team radio sega is at about 1400 pounds thus far and there's that's amazing there's a few hours to go yet yeah that is amazing isn't it really just uh i think as a whole not just radio sega but everyone that's put out this content for gamer blast i've uh the last thing i saw i think on twitter was like i think they raised about one hundred and fifty thousand pound altogether so it's been a, a very special to be a part of that and um I have some sort of shemu backing behind that charity and uh some of the shemu fans giving us some donations on that night on that we only did like a two-hour stream but we had some great uh, support there and uh, i hope that special effect continue to provide all this this amazing equipment to you know less able people to allow them to to play games and enjoy games uh, it's really truly special um so moving on from that we've got some of the the english voice actors have started obviously doing streams playing shemu and discussion uh, you know sort of going back into behind the scenes history and some of the memories that the they had working on the original games Corey marshall being probably the, the major contributor at the moment he's he's cranking out weekly streams if not two a week two or three a week even uh, playing shemu he also plays yakuza and i think he's recently been playing alien isolation as well but his, his Shemu streams are great, really. He's, I think he's played through all three games, or he might still be in the process of Shemu 3. But it's just great to um, hear that kind of like commentary alongside the game, um, thinking back to some of the experiences he had working on the games back in the day, providing the voice, obviously, of Ryo Hazuki. But we've also had streams from Lizzle, Lizzle Wilkerson, who was the voice of Shuing and Joy... Uh, amongst other people in in the Shemu Two, at least, um, <clears throat> her streams have been great as well. She's been talking to people like Paul Lucas, and I think even Eric Calso has been involved in some of these streams here and there. So the best thing to do, if you want to keep tabs on that, rather than, um, I mean, you can, you can go try and hunt down Corey's uh, socials and Lizzle's socials, etc. Paul Lucas, I think, has some. I'm not sure on Eric Calso. But if you want to do, follow the dojo, obviously, on our socials, and we'll let you know when their streams actually are, when they go live as well. Uh, but it's really cool to see these original voice actors streaming Shenmue and, you know, some really interesting behind-the-scenes, like I say, some memories from the these awesome cast members. We've had some more blog posts from both phantomriverstone.com and uh, Shenmuezings. If you don't know who Shamusings is, it's um, a guy called Stuart Peacock. You may also recognize his name as Miles Prower on the, the Dojo forums. He's uh, recently started getting back into blog posting. But uh, Phantom Riverstone side of things, Switch, he's, he's done a, a great post on Christmas and New Year and the original Shamu. There's some interesting information on the street signs that change over these periods in the game and obviously the, the kimonos that a few of the female characters wear on this time of the year. Uh, he's also done a nice interview with Mappy, who did that Japanese fan manga book that we talked about uh, a few months back. And uh, just a, a couple of extra posts with discoveries kind of relating to the, the Dragon and Phoenix collection project we just spoke about. 
uh, with a, a mini map that was discovered that would have been used in the harbour area of Shenmue 1 and also some leftover UI files that could potentially link back to the Sega Saturn days. So some great posts that you can find right now over on phantomriverstone.com and on shamusings.wordpress.com you can find a couple of new blog posts from Stuart Peacock um, who discovers basically the names of the Blue Spiders and the Red Snakes, those two gangs that are in Shenmue 3, of which we have never actually told their names. So they are very interesting blog posts to see how, how Stuart kind of figured out exactly who they are uh, right so i would say that's all the news for this episode unless you've got anything else to add matt um no that's everything uh, i can see i mean there's a lot going on in the community actually it just goes back to what i was saying uh, a little bit earlier um that there's a buzz now and lots of good community projects going so yeah let's just keep it up yeah so i mean I, I, if we did miss anyone we're sorry we we tried to do as much there cram as much the news in, in there as possible and uh uh <laughs> like like matt says there's always stuff going on so just keep an, keep an eye out on all the social media platforms and uh, you'll see a ton of shemu content really crank, cranking out all the time so let's have a quick break and we're going to play a song from the aforementioned kitchen brothers so here's a lovely piece that went with an incredible video i highly recommend you check this one out and uh, it's called Hisaka-san's Theme. Welcome back. That was Isaka-san's theme from the Kitchen Brothers. Just truly amazing piece of music there. Just keep an eye out on Kitchen Brothers. They've got a YouTube channel and they seem to be pushing out some of these these great pieces of music uh, quite often. So just keep an eye on that. So let's finally get straight into the main focus topic for this episode. So as mentioned earlier, we're going to attempt to break up Shemu 3 as a whole. We're going to start with Bailu Village. So I've got two guides up here opened. We've got one from Reela over on GameFAQs, which you know seems to be a little bit more in depth. So hopefully this should allow us to prompt, you know, bring up some memories from these these parts of the game and try and discuss those certain parts of the story and the cutscenes, etc. 
And the other guide I'm using is Game of Guides, which it's a guide with some, some pretty decent screenshots, actually, from a guy called Kane, and hopefully that'll just help us prompt some memories as well. So let's get into it. So Shenmue 3, first time, starts up, loads up. You've got all, obviously, your, your options to select new game, continue, load game, etc. But if you select that new game option, uh, it's going to load into, finally, after all these years, the cave sequence again. And it's basically a, a recreation of the end of Shenmue 2's cave sequence. Uh, just bit, bits cut out here and there, like the floating sword and that sort of stuff. But uh, it's quite a nice... Um, very nice graphics anyway, graphical new stone pit that they've, they've recreated there with Rio and Chenfoir kind of discovering the two large stone carvings of the mirrors. And uh, I, I think it was quite a nice little opening to the game, actually. What do you think? Yeah, I, I did. I quite liked it. It's, it's um, I'm trying to think of the word for it. You've been waiting 18 years for this. And it was always when you hit that X button or A button, depending on what you're playing on. And you get the cave sequence again. I thought it's quite a tasteful way to do it, actually, um, because it's just a nice little callback to to where we've come from. Actually, that he had been, you know, for sort of figuratively speaking, stuck in a cave for eighteen years. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was very well done. It was very well presented. Obviously, as you say, there was some notable exceptions, like the the floating sword, or in the case of Shenmue Two, it was more like a He-Man sword. But yeah, exactly. It was a massive sword, wasn't it? But they downscaled it for Shenmue 3. But yeah, very well done. Quite happy with it. Yeah, I mean, I've got a little bit of a tidbit on why they decided to, to downscale the sword, basically. I mean, in Suzuki's original plan, according to him, him, him himself, he always wanted it to be a dagger. It wasn't meant to be like a huge sword. It was always meant to be a little, little dagger. But obviously because kind of things were heating up with the Dreamcast, it was getting cancelled and... They were really wanted to put a lot into the end of Shenmue 2 just to go out with a bang, basically. And um, I think they took a few liberties and exceptions there and created this huge sword and this whole masterpiece. It kind of was like a really, you know, it was an insane ending to the game, really, after what you just encountered, just walking through the forest, basically, with Shenmue for two hours, you know. Just this insane ending to the game that kept us wanting for so long. And obviously, it was probably a little bit more enthusiastic than Yu Suzuki originally intended. Obviously, it was just meant to be a little dagger, but apparently that, that that's the reason why it is a, a dagger in Shenmue 3, because he's gone back to his his kind of original plan, I guess, in that situation, which uh, I'd rather have kept things consistent, if I'm being honest. I'd rather it have been the same sort of size sword, because it just doesn't really kind of make sense when you go from one game to the next, but uh, it's not really anything too detracting from the experience as a whole. So, reading the guide here, so Shemu 3 picks up immediately after the end in the Shemu 2. Ryo and Shenfu are in the quarry where they discovered a magical floating sword and two gigantic carvings on the wall depicting the exact images found on the Dragon Phoenix mirrors. It's another thing, actually, I don't know if it's in the both the English and Japanese translations, but they started using the word quarry rather than stone pit. Obviously, we've always called it the stone pit since the Dreamcast days. I'm not sure if that was um, another just translation thing or it was always meant to be a quarry. But... Um, 
Yeah, it could be a translation error or change, to be fair. I mean, it's basically one and the same thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, that's true. It's it's basically the same. It's just weird hearing them talking. They were calling it the stone pit before, and now they're calling it the quarry. But fair enough. So as you gain control of Rio, he's walking down a path towards Bilo Village with Shenfoy. So that's kind of just after the the end of the scene there with the big mirrors, there's kind of a transition where Rio and Shenfoy are looking at each other and it transitions basically from the cave to outside and they're still kind of looking at each other, which uh, I did think was a little bit wonky at the time, but, you know, it does work. It works fine. And obviously now they're, they're outside um, heading down this path towards Bailu Village. And it's just a, a good reflection of the kind of the, the graphics of the environments. Obviously, it transitions from this beautiful cave and suddenly you're outside and, it, you know, it's bright, colourful. Um, you can see the scenery, the environments around Rio and Chenfoir are pretty spectacular, to be fair, considering the budget and the constraints that we talked about earlier. So it says, move forward until you reach the bridge and a cinematic will play where you are introduced to the gatekeepers of Bailu. You've got uh, Leo Leo and Shirin are the two. So obviously they're guarding the bridge across to Bailu Village itself. It's called the Verdant Bridge. And uh, Rio does, uh, he mentions to Shenfoy, like, are they always there? Is this bridge always need protecting? And Shenfoy kind of replies saying that, no, obviously these thugs that the the two gatekeepers just just spoke about, uh, they've been attacking the village and stuff, so... That's why they're on guard at the moment. They're not always usually there because Bailu Village is, it's always been a safe village until obviously the stuff that's happened, which obviously we know is is basically Landy and, you know, his thug, thugs and chi men or whatever. Have, they're basically in search of Rio's mirror, which he still holds at the moment. He's still holding the Phoenix, which kind of ties into the, the prophecy there, the one who holds the Phoenix. And uh, basically, they've kind of ransacked the village in search of this mirror. So that's why there's gatekeepers at the, the Verdant Bridge. When you regain control of Rio, continue forward until you reach the village square. So you've, you know, we've passed Mr. Talget's store, and we've basically been following Shenfoir into the village square. And I think there's a quite a nice scene actually with the what's that guy's name? The the martial arts guy. I don't know oh, what his name is. Su Zhuang or something. It's Mr. Su, isn't Mr. It? Su, is it? He's the big dude training Tai Chi. Yeah. He's teaching the children Tai Chi or um, some form of martial arts there. And uh, there's a, a little scene just saying hi to that guy. But then Shen Hua goes off on her own to investigate in a nearby settlement. And Rio's left to his own devices, basically walking around the village square. And uh, he's tasked to, to ask these residents if anyone's seen Shenfoy's father, Mr. Yuan, who's obviously at the end of Shenmue 2, he, he leaves the letter there. That's Shenfoy is expecting to see a, a father working in the stone pit. But obviously something that we don't know about at this point where he, he's actually he's, he's gone missing and he's just left a note for Shenfoy. So in the village, they're, they're basically just asking if anyone's seen Mr. Yuan. It's an interesting point, actually, when you're sort of going through the village in that initial stage, obviously we know Mr. Mr. Yuan has um, gone missing, but what we, so what we don't sort of think about, I suppose the first sort of thinking is obviously when you, you land in Guilin, it takes you a couple of days to get there. So 
him going missing, the letter being put there, has happened within a sort of two day, two three day period, because the mm-hmm. guardian, the guards at the gate or the bridge rather, they make a reference to that, saying a couple of you know, thugs tore through here a couple of days ago. Right. So it linked. That's all been going on as Rio has been getting towards Bailey Village itself. So it, yeah, it's a nice little link there as to things weren't actually all okay. So they, they seemed okay when Shenhua left to go and. Well, I can't remember what she was doing when she left and she me to, to go go that way. And then obviously she met Rio. But then all this is kicked off while they've been on their way back to the back to the village. So it's it's quite an interesting tidbit actually. Yeah, and it is interesting when you, you think of the prophecy and stuff, it's it's kind of it's it's fate basically, isn't it, what they say? How Chenfoir's met Rio and you know, this has obviously been foretold um for all these years in the village it's the poem's been been in the village for the centuries i believe from what we're told in the game so it's it's really interesting to see all this start coming together <laughs> when you start chemu one you know none of this is apparent is it really you're just thinking it's a realistic take on japan and you know a guy going around hunting hunting his father's killer but when you get to shemu two and now shemu three all this sort of mystery it's really presents itself and to the player, it's complete contrast from Shenmue 1, basically. Uh, all these little things that you probably weren't expecting going into the series. Uh, it just really adds that extra layer to the story. And, it, you know, I, I think it's pretty pretty cool, to be honest. Yeah, you just summed it up quite, quite nicely there, actually, in terms of how it's now starting to come together. I mean, we'll talk about it more as we go through, won't we? But it, they, those, those puzzle pieces are starting to fill in now. Yeah, so it says here actually, Su Ziong is the obese man instructing the children in martial arts. Nice choice of choice of words here. So behind him is a path that's leading up to two houses. The one on the left is Lin's house, who's the the little girl that she's she's kind of drawing into the the dirt, and she when yeah. Rio meets her at the start. And um, I don't know if this is right actually, because I feel like you may have to go to the old lady who's doing the the, the beating on the. The, the cloth or whatever for this to trigger you do you do you have to go and you have to go and wander over to elder yeah's house that's it and yeah. it triggers that cutscene where she's beating the medicine completely blanks rio yeah she doesn't say a word does she but i think she is blind after all but rio does talk to her and she doesn't doesn't reply and it's synonymous actually with how the village are with him bear in mind shen has walked off she's, she's gone somewhere else rio is an outsider here he looks like a strange person, I bet, to them because they've, if anything like Shenfar, they've never actually been outside of the village. So this is the first, you know, potential Japanese person to arrive in the village, uh, bar, barring the, the thugs, whatever. And, and, and some of them probably you got to consider. I mean, a wild train there. So they may have, That's they may true. have been children. They may not remember. It might be their first sight of a foreigner. Hmm. That's very true, actually, about you, uh, well, well, we'll get into a bit later. But, yeah, it d- depends. Maybe some of the old people uh, would... We do get a scene later. We'll, we'll discuss where someone actually confuses Rio for a while. So, you know, I wonder what these people actually feel about Rio being in the, in the village. They're cold towards him, aren't they? I mean, you go around... Some of them are, especially the younger people, aren't they? Mm. But you start sort of talking to them and go, I'm not interested in talking to you. Um, 
and they, they're, they're just a bit cold and they're obviously wary of him. I mean, bearing in mind as well that we know that some thugs have torn through the village. That gonna, could be another reason why, yeah. You're going to be a bit wary anyway, but... But when he's he's backed by Shenhua, they're, they're a lot nicer to him, aren't they? They are. It's, yeah, it's, they just start off very, very cold, which is, you would be. This is a new person, you haven't yet. The village is... It is remote. I mean, we'll talk about how remote it is in Shenmue 3 to what I think we we assumed we might get later. Yeah. But it's a remote village. You know, travellers don't come through very often. And you've got this random traveller turning up asking all these questions. You're not going to be particularly friendly. <laughs> so it says that then you wait for Lynn to come. And obviously when she is starting to draw on the ground in front of her house... Move close to her to initiate a cinematic, and she'll tell you that her father will be home at around 7pm. Her father is a stonemason, isn't he? So I think that's why we're just obviously investigating some of the stonemason sort of people um, to see if they know where Mr. Yuan is, basically. So it says, you can either walk around or talk to other people to wait until 7pm. Okay, so at 7pm, the sun goes down and gets dark outside. You know that the typical Shemu transitions, transitions into nighttime, and you're forced to return to Shemu's house two hours later. So, like at nine o'clock every day, every day, every day, Rio is forced to return to Shemu's house. Um, so, in front of Lin's house, knock on the door, and Lin's father will answer. Lin's father, Xiao Kaiji, he'll talk to you, and you'll learn about the thugs that ransacked his house. So, yeah, if this is the scene I'm thinking of, when you enter, his house is all pretty much smashed up. Yeah. And obviously, I think Lynn's kind of hiding behind her, her father. She's quite friendly, actually, to Rio at the start, really, considering um, they've obviously had thugs in the house and smashed the place up, looking for the mirror. Yeah, she is. And it, when you first speak to her, she's obviously she's sat in the dirt, and Rio does, it sounds silly, but he gets on a knee to talk to her. Which is always it's a bit more endearing, I think, as well. And actually, the scene was a trailer used at Magic T- um, Kyoto. Yeah, I remember release. that actually. Yeah, so it was quite a nice little scene actually. Um, but yeah, you, you say you walk into the house, it's smashed up, and he, he says these thugs came by and basically tore up his house, and then you you end up back at Shenhua's house, don't you? And it says the next day, Shenfa will walk with you back to the village, and this time she'll stay with you as you ask around the village square. So uh, obviously, when you do return home at night, there's some some really nice conversations with Shenfa that you can experience, and they discuss a little bit about their own back history stories about the fathers and all these different things. You know, just generally nice conversation, and you know, it's some really great conversation that I I do. Recommend everyone go out of the way to try and uh, speak to Shenfar at the end of each night, especially in the Bailu village area anyway. Yeah, definitely. They're, they're, there's some really interesting conversations. They talk about Japan, they talk about the village, they talk about Shenhua's life, talk about Rio's life. Um, it's, just, yeah, it's just very Shenmue. The, the whole, mm. the conversations are very Shenmue in what they do. They just build that relationship, they build that world and they're some of the best conversations, I think, in the series, let alone Shenmue 3 as a whole. I think they are some of the best conversations going in, in the whole series. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's uh, just just great. Like you say, it's very Shenmue, isn't it? It's, 
it's what you, we were expecting to get from from this game as those sort of conversations. It's long winded, very interesting dialogue, and um, I think they did, did do a great job to to get some of that into this game. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you on that. So obviously, at this point of the game, it's still kind of like tutorial mode. So uh, on your way down to the village, you stop off at the martial arts dojo called Martial Hall. And he, you train your kung fu, and it's kind of like forces you into a little bit of a fight with Red Tiger or whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, it's kind of just to give you a bit of a taste of the the combat system. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is a tutorial. Um, you obviously get you get one inch punch. He tells you where all that is and and uh, horse stance. Yep. You do the bit of the fighting. Um, although I mean, one one criticism I had of the tutorial for the fighting is it doesn't really tell you a lot. It's just mashing buttons. Yeah, they could have really. <laughs> that's actually become a bit of a, a joke, really, to, to some people. Anyway, you know that um, phrasing for the tutorial for, for the for the fighting. They probably could have done a little bit better. It's, it sells the system short a little bit, actually, in my opinion. I know that there's valid criticisms leveled at some of the animation around the, the ragdoll physics of the opponents, etc. But actually, when you dig into the system itself, start stringing combinations together. They're very smooth. They look really, really good. And actually, it's a deeper system than you'd think. I know there's criticisms around the input method, but I think there's a basis there for a very good fighting engine. It's just you just need to take your time to get used to it a little bit. I think. Yeah, I do see where they were coming from a little bit because they just wanted to present it to a wider audience, and they didn't want to put anyone off with, you know, Shenmue's techniquey. What's the word like? Virtual Fighter engine. Mm required a lot of like technique and if i would i would say that shenmue's there's a lot of fights in shenmue and shenmue 2 actually that are quite easy you know you don't really need that that technique side of things but uh that is kind of the engine that the they had was the virtual fire engines which quite a tactical technique sort of um system there so i, I do kind of understand the reason why they kind of wanted to make it a bit more for everyone and just say just just press anything you want really <laughs> see what happens <laughs> yeah yeah and I, I can see what they were looking for and it's it's not it's not far off i think being a being a good system mm. so anyway as you continue walking towards the village shem will, will tell uh, shem will tell you about the next building you see this is the tower gets store uh, so still t- tutorial mode here so uncle tower runs the, the shop uh, where you can buy various items or sell herbs there uh, Shenfua will show you a licorice herb just growing outside the front of Talget, and she tells you that if you collect enough, you can sell them for cash. There's also he's, he's also got the the herb maps outside there that you can use to try and find all the herbs in the village, and it's actually a really good income of money. It's probably easier selling herbs, collecting, selling herbs, than it is to try and to gamble real money realistically would you say yeah i'd agree you, you just got to invest in the in the herb hunting it's, it's very quick and actually you can get some really good money very very quickly for for the larger combinations that they've got um it's as the map opens up in Bailey when you start finding those sort of rarer herbs then you can start making sort of 300 yuan or 400 yuan a, a, a trade which which is you know it's brilliant actually it's massive really money. yeah Considering how you know tight the the currency system is in, in Shenmue Three, you know later on you'll you'll see why <laughs> it's uh, there's a, a good emphasis on trying to save up for 
some pricier items later in the game. But anyway, as you return to the village square, talk to Mao Yufang at the wall. She will tell you that the thugs attacked the Wang household. You will need to locate Wang Wen to learn more. And she's back at the Taogat store. And once you speak to her, you will learn that her husband, Wang Shiren, scared off the thugs. Shiren will tell you what the thugs looked like. I think Shiren's the one of the guards at the bridge, right? Yeah, he, he's the guy dressed in blue. Yeah, he actually wanders off, I think, when you get back to the village, uh, back to the, the Verdant Bridge. And uh, he's actually attending to some cows <laughs> kind of on the path back down to Languishan. Uh, so that's where you talk to him anyway. That's where you'll find him. Uh, he will tell you that the thugs are what the thugs looked like and that there were other people who saw them too. Shiran tells you about a bookie with a scar on his cheek uh, that saw the thugs as well. So this is kind of where the the Shemu 3 demo kind of kicks in now, isn't it, where you're you're on the hunt for the, the bookie? Yeah, it's very Shenmue, isn't it? You start investigating. And the, the twist on this is actually now Shenhua's with you, the villagers are more open now we're mm. to talk to you um one or two of the villagers put their foot in it suggesting that rio and shenhao might be an item <laughs> from the standard rio hizuki awkward response yeah. as you've come to expect yeah yeah very good uh, so head back towards the village and as you cross over the bridge rio and shenhao will split up again to search for the buki you can find him in the village square. If you walk towards the well where Mao Fueng was standing and look to the left, you'll see a small path that leads to two guys standing in front of some games. So there's some sort of um, there's lucky hit boards, and obviously the the bookie guy is the one that's he's doing the the pale toss mini game, which is quite good fun. And the guy on the left is Shuan Shangkun, the bookie with the scar on his face, and this is the one you're looking for. And actually. There is an extra little scene in there if you, I think if you speak to him, but don't beat him because you end up having a fight. And then head back, head back towards the Marshall Hall. Uh, Rio notices his name in the the Dan listings, basically. Yeah, that's right. So there's an extra little cutscene there as well, if you didn't know that one. So speak to Xuan Shankun and he will ask to spar with you. If you beat him during the sparring match, then he will tell you what he knows about the thugs. So once you defeat him, he will tell you that the thugs also cause trouble for the bookie at the Flowerbird Wind and Moon stand. And this stand's located over in Joy Park, which is by the river near Tauga and the village uh, and the Verdant Bridge. So yeah, again, typical Shamu. Uh, you've just found a new person to try and find out where he is now, kind of thing like a Rio's detective hat still on, which leads us to the end of the section actually. So. The next one is searching for the stonemations. Doesn't go over actually the conversation, does it, with the flower, bird, wind, and moon? I was wondering if that would come into it next. No, because yeah, it's when what happens when you wander over. So you mm. get the you have the fight with the bookie. You wander over to flower, bird, wind, and moon, and you're told he's not there until the evening. That's true. Yeah, he's he only starts from after 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 the transition. I think yeah, into the nighttime transition. Seven p.m. So he turns up at the, at the transition, and then you have to play Flower, Bird, Wind and Moon to get your information out of him. Right. And you have to beat him. You have to win as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so depending on how lucky you are, depends on how many tokens you spend, which is, I think it's like a, it's almost like a tutorial into the gambling system that they've got, yeah. which, yeah, which is addictive in its own right, to be fair to it. And then you get the information from him that um, the village, uh, 
that the thugs were seen over in the Sunflower Grove, which is where the next day kicks in. Right, brilliant. So, yeah, they missed that off the other walkthrough. So that's basically the end of that first day of Rio hunting around. And, well, that might even be your second day, actually, because... Um, it says the, the second day wanted that because Rio is headed home and yeah, after finding Lynn's father or whatever. So this is the third day now, depending on how fast you're playing through the game anyway. So the next day, Rio will need to head for the Sunflower Grove. So where is the Sunflower Grove? Go back down into the village square and walk towards the far side where Aldier's house is. And you'll see a signpost nearby that shows that Manuan Temple is to the left. Panda Market straight ahead and the Sunflower Grove is to the right. So, yeah, nice little village, really, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's, they kind of, they, they, I know they block off certain aspects of the village. They don't just let you just run around willy nilly straight away. You've kind of got to open up these extra sections. And I think it does work in a way of introducing the player to each section as you reach them in the game. Doesn't make it too overwhelming um, and, and kind of introduces them quite nicely, actually. Yeah, it's a, it was a source of, I think, divided opinion. I mean, I I was quite open on the forums, etc. The first thing I was doing on playing Shenmue 3 was finding the arcade games. Little of <laughs> me, they're stuck in bloody Panda Market, and you have to yeah, it's like one of the last areas. Games through to get to a. It's a minor complaint, in in my opinion. It's not not a massive issue. I mean, I would have liked to sort of had Bailu open from the beginning. But actually, when you look back to Shenmue 1, they wall off bits and pieces early in the game. Where, uh, and then you trigger going into Dogwita, for example. You have to you have to speak to the, the gossip gaggle. And I can't remember the name of the lady who's sweeping now. But you can't go to Dogwita until you've done that point. So it's, it's very similar in that respect. So it fits in with the design of the original game, at least. It's... it's it, I didn't mind it. I, I would have liked Bailu to have been open, but I'm not going to sit and die on that hill over it, quite frankly. Yeah, well, it's kind of like Rio's goal at the time, and it's like he needs to speak to the people in this area Yeah, to yeah. find out where he should be going kind of thing. So if you suddenly wonder off, it's, um, I suppose, on a game standpoint as well, they, they would have had to program all this extra dialogue into characters that, you shouldn't really be meeting at the moment and uh, uh, you know it's extra little dialogue and voice acting and stuff yeah, that they, they could avoid just by walling it off i guess yeah um so as you enter the sunflower garage you'll notice a lot of large sunflowers obviously on the left mm-hmm. you can walk into these flowers and this is kind of like a small maze with herbs growing inside quite a nice little area actually this this thing and some nice new music that plays, I think, when you're walking around yeah. the sunflowers. Yeah. Yeah, really nice little area of Bailu. Before you can do anything in the sunflower glo- grove, you will be stopped by four children who want you to play a game with them. They want to play hide and seek with you. <laughs> they will go and hide, and you'll have to search for them. You have exactly four hours to locate them, so that's 16 minutes in real time. Well, in game time. Yeah. 16 minutes to um, to find them. And the the game actually shows you exactly where the three of the children go and hide. So the three that we've got here, we've got Le Chun-hai, who's hiding in the large sunflower field. And there's two openings in the sunflower field that you can use to enter. Enter the one on the right, then Luke right, and you'll see a stand in the corner. Uh, Kong Zhuang, who's hiding behind the large wheelbarrows next to the westernmost house. 
It's also directly across from the location that we found Li Xuanai. Uh, Yi Zhijun. I don't know if I'm pronouncing any of these names right, by the way, guys. Good so, job, man. Carry apologies. On. Uh, it's hiding on top of a house. Uh, it's the one that's climbed the ladder, I think, isn't it? Yeah. So from the location we found Kong Zhuang <laughs> hiding at... Continue down the backside of the house. You reach the third house, you'll see a ladder on the backside. Yeah, look up to see Yi Zhijun standing on the roof. So the fourth kid that... So we don't see where he runs off to, is that right? Or yeah, that's right. The three run off in very yeah. Shenmue fashion. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, obviously this fourth one that we need to find, Yong Li Hong. So where's he hiding? We've got no clues before the game began, so we must search. So you'll see a path beside the houses. Follow it down towards the river, and you will see two children sitting on the dock, Wang Mei Ling and Zhao Lin. They tell you where to find Yong Li Hong. Uh, he's hiding inside the nearby house. So as you approach the door to the house, you'll notice that it's cracked open and it triggers another cinematic. Rio will notice the place is a, a mess and he'll spot Yong Leong hiding. The boy will tell Rio that he saw some thugs come into the house. And then the kid leaves and you investigate the house now. Yeah, that's right. And you go calling back to the original the original task, if you like. That's very Shenmue, isn't it? Hide and seek with some kids. Yeah. Yeah, it's very, very, very Shenmue. And you can see Rio's like, for God's sake. Really? <laughs> really? But He's he... a good sport. Yeah, he sort of does it. And Kong actually is the grandson of the lady who runs the shop in Panda Market. Oh, yeah. I remember that. The one that there was a blog post on that one there. Yeah. Um, And actually, that blog post is well worth reading because there's some good information about Kong Sr. and her past. It's it's very interesting. It's very, again, very. She used to be a martial artist. Yeah. (laughs) Very famous martial artist. Yeah, famous for movies. (laughs) And that's very Shenmue, isn't it? It's that hidden hidden detail that you have to sort of dig around and find. But yeah, Yeah. going back to the point of you're in this this trashed house and Rio has to start his sort of investigation phase. And this is a, this harks back to the originals, doesn't it? In terms of opening the drawers. Opening the cabinets, moving furniture, etc. It's very much like I associate it with almost like going around the dojo house a little bit. Mm, yeah, which was interesting. So you go and you find. Eventually, you start finding clues, don't you? You find um, a list, which has a list of stonemasons on it, and then you have a um, photograph with Mister um, Yuan and Zhu, who's actually the owner of the house, who's also. Yeah disappeared for for one of a better way he's, he's just gone and nobody seems to know where he is right okay so he is well kind of spoilers heading back towards the towards the end of the game is he's the other guy that's with shenfo's father then is it yeah yeah he, right. so he they got okay. captured at the same time i i, I believe interesting so now move over to the other room as well you've kind of at. so i've covered that so so you pick up the photo and it triggers a cut scene as does the, as the list. You have to leave the house. And you, you basically, again, it's Shenmue fashion here. You leave the house. Your next task is to ask the villagers about what you found. Um, now, in true Shenmue fashion, when I played it, and I'm sure you did, James, I used the picture and I used the list. Yeah. But the guide here is saying you could ignore the picture and only ask about the list of names to progress the story. Oh, because it gives you the options when you start a conversation. Yeah. Kind of like, like you say, this Shenmue fashion of... 
which item thing do you want to talk about? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. And so I, I, I didn't realise that at the time, actually, but it's, it's always good to know if you're trying to speed run it, I suppose. So yeah. you then you head back to the village square and you look for the young man in white who is practising martial arts on the wooden post uh, or sitting down at the fast kitchen. This is Li Mingyang. Uh, you show him the list of names you found, and he'll reveal they're all stonemasons. Is he the guy that's very cold to Rio? Then, yeah, he is. He really seems to have a crush on Shenhua. Yeah, he? he's, he's got the, he's got the hots for Shenhua. He doesn't like Rio very much. And every time Shenhua turns up when he's talking to Rio, his attitude suddenly changes. Yeah, it's really again, it's very Shenmue in that. Respect. He's kind of embarrassed. <laughs> yeah, he's like, oh, I better be nice because I've got thing for Shuenhai, but I won't actually tell her. <laughs> but going back to the story itself, it's the overarching link. We know they're all, he says they're all stonemasons. So after you speak to Li Mingyang, Shenhai will appear and talk to you. Um, you will now need to return to Lin's house. If you remember who Lin is, she's the little girl who's drawing in the mud um, earlier on and speak with her father, Zhu, once more. Um, they then conclude that the list of names that were crossed off were the stonemasons that were attacked and that two other stonemasons were in danger. So you've got Ki Yunhao is the next stonemason on the list who lives in the Panda Market behind the prize exchange, which is a new area which will now open up for you. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't and it doesn't say who the other one is yet. But when you travel up the road to Panda Market, Ki Yunhao's house is, on, is the first building on the left it's before seven, no one answers. So you have to head to the Pride Exchange to speak to Mao Mei Mei. I'm probably okay. butchering this name. <laughs> That's um, fine. Uh, who will inform you that Ki Jun Hao will return home at 7 p.m. And then you can fast travel if you want to. Um, and this is sort of a point I wanted to pick up on with Panda Market. Yeah. And, and Bailey Village as, as a whole. And it's a personal opinion, is when... When you finish Shenmue 2, you're led to believe that Bailey Village is quite rudimentary, aren't you, in terms of mm. they haven't got a lot there, you don't get many outsiders. And you go into the village and you go to Panda Market. I'd expect to see a market in some sort of village like this anyway because they need somewhere to trade and do all those sorts of things because that's how it could well have worked, bartering, if you like. Um, but I was quite yep. surprised to see an arcade there. <laughs> yeah, well, at the end of Shenmue 2, when you're talking to Shenfua, she's... I think there might even be a question that introduces something about arcade things and she doesn't know what you're on about. So <laughs> I don't know if it was actually intended in the original plan, but obviously they've taken some liberties to try and add a bit of mini games and stuff like that. Everyone wants an arcade, don't they? I, suppose. I mean, it links to the Kickstarter goal as well at the end of the day. And I can see why they did it. It's, I mean, it's another point in terms of whether they could have looked at different mini games for Bailey Village that may have fitted that rustic feel a bit more but then i would bring it back to yes but then you've got to design a, another basically set of mini games yeah or bailu particularly when you're on a tight budget is that really what you want to be doing i i i i, I don't know and there's 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 always there's always been this talk around is there too many mini games in the game anyway so do you want to then throw more money at it bearing in mind you're having to develop this game from nothing you have no source code or anything and you're developing you you got to build all this up, so it's it's just a point that yeah, I do think Bailu in Shemu three is probably a lot more fleshed out than we would have would have got back in the Dreamcast days. I feel like this yeah. was more of a it's going to be a, a smaller village at least, and probably 
not taking up as as much time of of the whole series as as it does do. Um, obviously, Shenmue Three as a whole is what would you say is about twenty to forty hours, depending on fast you play. Yeah. Um, so I I don't believe that Bailey Village was going to be this fleshed out and this this huge really because it's quite a, quite a big little area to be fair. Uh, well, not big little, but you know what I mean. It's uh, as as a whole. If you join up all the, you know, once you've unlocked the whole village and you've got all these parts that have have become available to explore, it's as a whole, it's it's really large little village. To be fair, it is, and it's um, I'm, I'm like you say, I'd agree with you. I think I'm sort of led to believe that Bailey Village was a bit of a sort of stop off in some respects. We know where I was training there, and obviously we've talked about it in a minute, but it was more a case of I think of just sort of meeting Shenhua, getting to know a bit about her having a little bit of, of lore and story around the mirrors. Obviously, that's where the mirrors were made. But the nitty-gritty around a wow and everything that's gone on after he left there, that that whistle to find out. So I don't think Bailu in that story arc is particularly important. We just know he trained there. It's more important to the mirrors than anything else, yeah. personally. Just an extra little point. Um, do you think that the... The villagers' clothing, for example, is as intended, or do you do you reckon you know when you get off the boat at the end of well, the last part of Shemu Two when Rio gets off the boat in Guilin, and obviously all the the little residents there and that little village are kind of like half naked, mm. and they've got that kind of monk style haircut and different you know shaved heads and those sort of things. Do you think that was the original? look of the the villagers or or do you, could you see them wearing jeans and t-shirts i mean being honest no i think i think had had we got shenmue through on the dreamcast i think it would have been more rudimentary in their clothing but especially i don't know it's gonna sound horrendous here but especially with with children and, and things these days anyway that that's yeah, you want to see your point a, a half-clothed child in a video game i know it's supposed to be representative of the time but mm-hmm. is that something they had to consider within within the game within the rating etc and then obviously the rest of the clothing i would have expected to be more rudimentary in terms of their appearance they might have been a bit scrappy and dirty possibly yeah um, a bit more rural looking yeah, tribal and yeah and but then the costume changes fit in with shenhua's costume change i think it was it was modernized a little bit, but yeah, it's, okay. But then I suppose if you go to um, Hermit's Nest, some of the older people are wearing those sorts of clothes. Hmm. It's I, I don't know. It's it's a little bit inconsistent, and I, I don't. It could it could be based on like the teams that were involved in creating NPCs. Yeah. I don't know if it's you know that company. Um, yeah, what are they called? Yeah, you know, perhaps they didn't completely uh, have exact. Uh, you know what? What would be what I'm trying to say is, they, you know, maybe they, they took some liberties in character model design and yeah, possibly you know, clothing and stuff. And obviously, Yu Suzuki and his team were new to the engine, new to designing stuff like this. So perhaps they just went with um, kind of like. Um, place well not placeholder things but maybe like just easy to to use clothing designs rather than trying to recreate that sort of rural village bailu clothing yeah possibly and 
I mean, it sounds like I'm going off on about what the villagers are wearing. It really doesn't matter in the grand, grand scheme of things, does No, it? exactly, yeah. I just thought it was an interesting point yeah. to discuss. No, it is, it is an interesting point, and I, I, I stand by it. I think had we had a continuation on Dreamcast, I think it would have been a lot more rural and rustic. But anyway, we'll we'll leave that leave that there, I think, for another time. But yep. so Panda Market, you go obviously you go in um, and you can fast travel to 7 p.m. to speak to Kijun Hao if you want to. And what he does is he turns around and says his house has been trashed. And actually, as you sort of walk, as Rhea walks in, it's a clip from the Magic Monaco 2019 trailer mm-hmm. where they're talking. You see this house has been trashed. That's his house. And he, okay. he says it's the other stonemason on the list is Yi Yangsin, and he's in Rainbow Basin, which is just past Sunflower Grove. So that's it for that day. Um, you can't, you can't sort of trigger anything that at that point. You then have the option to sort of go around Panda Market and sort of dive into the mini games. Uh, Wacky Mole is is uh, addictive. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that there. If anyone who watched the stream uh, the other Friday, you'll, you'll get my point. Um, yeah. And then you go back to Shenhua's house. So then the next morning, your task is to head to, for the Rainbow Basin uh, to speak with the final stonemason on the list, Yi Yang Zing. Uh, where is it? So it's just past Sunflower Grove. So you go back to Sunflower Grove, you follow the road past a small pond, you reach a bridge, and that is Rainbow Basin itself. And when you arrive... Uh, you'll see two people attacking this woman, and it turns out that the two thugs that you that everyone's been describing to you, and it zooms in on the tattoo, the blue, the oh, the guy with the sp- the spider, yeah, on his head, and you have to fight them both. And this makes a point actually of saying if you haven't practiced your kung fu yet to raise your attack, then this fight's going to be very very difficult. So part of the mechanic of this game as a whole is you need to train your martial arts, you need to train your moves, etc. And quite rightly, because you're not going to get better at martial arts without training. And so you have to do your one-inch punch, you have to do your horse stance, and you have to buy moves and level up your moves and all of those things to get your attack power the, the, the way that it needs to be. Um, once you defeat them, their boss turns up. Um, we don't know his name at this point, but he's that big Mongolian wrestler dude um, who was voiced in the English dub by Brad Venables, who um, sadly passed away this year. Yeah, that was a shame, wasn't it? Um, and I actually think he did a really good job with it. And I didn't, really, did. I didn't yeah, realize definitely. how big a name Brad was in, in right. voiceovers as a whole. So it was like, oh wow, you know. And it, obviously, it's very sad to hear that he he passed on. Um, but you can't win this fight. Um, you will always lose this fight. So whether you smash him and get rid of his health, or you get your ass kicked. The yep. sequence happens. It's kind of harks back to Dune. You've done it a little bit where yeah, unwinnable fights. Yeah, it does. From Shenmue 2. Mm. So that's, again, something keeping with the previous design a little bit. So you wake up in Yang Zing's house. Um, his mother helped you out. And she's uh, a little bit amazed, actually, that you sort of bundled in, take on these guys. Standard Rio Huzuki. Yep. As, as you do, just walk in and try and batter some people and then realise <laughs> that actually, oh, I'm, I'm in trouble here. Um she reveals that he go. He went to the hermit's nest, hide from the thugs. Where when he learned they were targeting the stonemasons, um, you now have to go to the hermit's nest. So where is it? So it's behind the panda market. So you go back to panda market, head for the other side. You'll see a cow shed. And yeah. Before I jump into, if you look to the left and up the hill a little bit, there's another path and there's some other herbs up there. If you're looking for your herb trophy, there's some herbs up there which some people miss. And there's a path which 
doesn't go anywhere, but I just wonder what would have happened with it. Maybe it's just sort of a path somewhere else, but it's just an interesting... Mm, interesting. Point. And um, it never opens up. No. no, 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 it never opens up. So you walk through the area and you get some buildings, almost in like a semicircle. And this is where some of the, sort of the older villages live, I think. Um, and you talk to some of the villagers and they say that... Um, Yi Yangzing is in a, in the meeting hall, and the first building you see on the left is the meeting hall, and he's hiding in there. So you knock on the door, you speak with Yangzing, and he's too scared to come out. So um, you return to Shenhua's house to inform her that he's safe, and that's sort of the end of that day, if you like. That's the end of chapter two, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So then, sort of springs into the next chapter according to the guy, which is the Verdant Bridge bit. So you end up going back to Shrenhar's house that night or whenever you trigger it because you do have the option to to go and sort of spend some time wood chopping, gambling or whatever you want to do and or train and I would highly recommend you train. So you go back, you have a cutscene at Shrenhar's house where they talk about that he's safe and that the next day she will come with you to talk to him. So you wake up the next morning to find a note from Shrenhar and she'd left early to head for Ternary Spring. Um, so where is it? Ternary Spring is located just beyond the Rainbow Basin. So you head back toward Ren- the Rainbow Basin. You turn left before crossing the bridge. You follow the path uphill and left through a gate. Keep going until you reach an area with a large tree. Now, uh, the large tree can be considered a cherry tree or a Shenmu tree, depending on the translation and various other Whether they meant it or not. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll leave that there. And she's sitting under it. Shenhua sitting under it. So you approach her to in- initiate a cinematic and you get your introduction to uh, Grandmaster Feng, and he will show up, and he's the person who mistakes you for a while because he sees yeah. Rio looking at the at the tree. And I've banged on about this cutscene for I don't know how many episodes. I'm going to bang on about it again. <laughs> one of my favourites. It is really good scene. Yeah, it's I agree. So Shenmue, it's it's perfect. And you you look at the, the tree, and you see this mark on the tree. And it's where someone's been practicing, probably something similar to wanting to punch or whatever. And Rio's looking at it, and he, it triggers a memory of him training with his dad under the cherry tree at the Hazuki Dojo. And uh, memories of distant days plays, and it all sort of kicks in. It's all quite, it sort of tries to punch you in the feels a little bit. And then Grandmaster Feng turns up, and he, he says, Oh, wow. And Rio turns around, that was my father's name. And then. They have this whole cut scene around. Makes you wonder if Iwao used to wear a leather jacket <laughs> <laughs> from behind. Yeah. The, incidentally, the the mark on the tree, I I kind of thought was thinking um, Iron Palm. Yeah. Rio learns off Xiamen. I was thinking maybe Iwao on his journey uh, trained with Xiamen and he taught him the Iron Palm as well, and that's what he was practicing on this this second Shemu tree kind of thing. Yeah, it could quite possibly could have been. Um, and it would have been very, very interesting to see that. So the cutscene sort of comes in and they talk about um, a while being in the village. They talk about um, Landy, the touch. Uh, Long Zhun Zhao, as his proper name is. Yeah. And Rio hands a photo over with his dad and his training partner, who is Landy's father. And they talk about a little bit about the training there. I think even the Grandmaster Feng says that Iwao wasn't that type of person to kill someone. Yeah, and, and Rio's quite sort of, he's quite insistent that he, 
quite frankly doesn't believe his father killed killed Landy's yeah. father, hence the issues here. So that cutscene sort of triggers, and they have a conversation around that. And then when it's sort of finished, if you like, Shenhua says to you, um, you need to go to Man Yuan Temple. Which, what was the reason for this? Just... Um, where is it? She suggests you go to Man Yuan Temple by the large fishing pond east of the bell tower. Now, from what I gather is she suggests the monk has been there quite a long time and she may sort of remember Rio's father. Yeah, might give us more clues. So Rio goes off, so goes up there. So when you arrive, you're greeted by the monk who resides there. And just for anybody who's not quite sure where it is, if you go back from from Tanari Spring, you turn right, go back through the Sunflower Grove, you end up in the village square again. You walk round to the left of the um the tower, past Aldier's house, and you go up the hill a little bit and then mm. the opening on your right hand side and that's where yeah, like is. towards the, the fishing place if you know where that is yeah yeah, yeah. um so you're greeted by the monk who resides there she remembers rio's fathers too which is fantastic because that's exactly what you're looking for and she allows you to search around the temple to see the history of it and one sort of nice little thing here is you've got some of the kickstarter rewards are on the left hand side on those those um am- the what edders or whatever they're called yeah. Yeah, i think so you've got some of the kickstarter backer messages in there so you can look at them if you want to but your main task here is to look around and explore the surroundings you can find a sega saturn in the in, in a console in a desk which i remember that yeah it's a nice little, little touch um, yeah. i don't quite know how a temple that's been there <laughs> saturn <laughs> had the means to play it but we'll we'll leave that there she's got to play a hang on oh yeah a bit of space harry <laughs> doing um there's a cat as well, isn't there, on a, on a chessboard, I think. There is, and Rio makes a point and says, oh, there's a cat there. I wonder how Fang Mei's doing. <laughs> <laughs> it's a nice little Easter egg touch. Yeah, thing. it's quite quite nice, actually. It's a little bit of fan service there. So you sort of search around. You end up going to the back half of the room, and you look at there's some photos on the wall. And I think there's three, three sort of boards with, I think it's six photos per board, but I might be remembering this wrong. And you look at all the photos and Rio will notice a picture of the Verdant Bridge. And in the photo, you will notice a familiar design, <coughs> cough, cough, mirror. And um, it's the same design that's carved onto the Phoenix mirror. I think it's funny how they have to, <laughs> they, they did the same thing in the end of Shenmue 2 where it does the sort of transition. Yes. Big, big deal of putting the mirror across as, as though you, 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 you don't know what you're looking at. It's like <laughs> this, you know, the design was the same as the mirror. Yeah, it's quite, <laughs> it's quite funny, actually, but it's, yeah. it's a nice touch. It's, it is a nice touch. Um, and the monk allows you to borrow the photo because she because you're a wow son. She had faith in a wow, so she has faith in you, which is a nice touch, actually. Yeah. Which is nice. Um, there's, she also gives you a note um, from your your father left at the temple. Um, it's a note from a wow's mother. Uh, wow, a wow's mother, rather. What's what's her mother's name again? Akeem, like isn't it? Akeem. Yeah, Akeem. That's it. Yeah, Akeem. Uh, and the guide yeah. here turns around, and goes, "Does does Rio's mother, or did she live in the in Bailu village?" I mean, I don't necessarily. Know oh, that's that interesting theory, but it's an interesting thought. Mm, I don't. I never thought of that. To be fair, the, the person in the guide yeah brings up an interesting point. Would she have lived in the village? We don't know anything about Rio's 
mother really at all, do we? Do no. do we know that she died or? We we all we know is in a conversation with Shenhua and Shenmue Three, he mentions that he lost his mother when he was very young. I'm assuming we don't actually know if he's he's just been told that. Mm. We don't know, do we? We, we know nothing about it. Um, we're assuming she's died, but we 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 don't know. So it's an interesting point, and it does beg the question because I'd always assumed that a wow left it there because um, it was just what you did. You left messages at the temple for your loved ones, your family, or whatever, assuming that she was back in Japan. Yeah, but it would be a very interesting swerve or side story if actually she was a villager, and a wow had gone elsewhere to train or murder mm. or whatever and then he's gone back to Bailey to pick his mother up they've ended up in japan or or, or whatever or that she, actually she she just left she lived in the village and died in the village and but it's, it's interesting isn't it we don't know i mean she must have had to had brio at some point so i don't know do we um do we know what the note said i can't remember off the top of my head no i can't i can't remember it i think it's something along the lines of i will be you know I'm trying to get home soon. I will quickly. Yeah. I might mm. Google it before the end of the, of the show and see what we can get. Um, we've gone off on a sidetrack. Side it's an interesting point either way. Just wondering as well, when you you see the photo in the temple, does that trigger a cutscene of the old days thing or has that come up a little bit later? It's a little bit later. So it just sort of zooms in on the picture. Right. And then it does the whole... It just recognises the mirror thing. Yeah. Then. It does the whole um, mirror thing, and then away, away you go. Yeah. So then that's sort of your main story bit for the day, if you like. But you go back to Shenhua's house. Uh, you show her the the photo, and she suggests you talk to a village elder to learn more about it, since they were alive when the Verdant Bridge was constructed. Now, it's I think from memory, the Verdant Bridge was stuck, constructed in nineteen ten from the game but i could be a couple of years out so i'm sure that sounds right someone might correct me so your next task is to visit lda in the village square this time she actually speaks to you acknowledges (laughs) you but she refuses to answer your questions so it's time to find another old timer and is that because chamfoy is not with you yeah and she's she's just not interested in talking about the verdant bridge and none of his business basically yeah. So you go back to the Panda Market and you have to speak to Kong Mei. And it makes a little joke in this guide about the gorgeous Kong Mei because there's a little cutscene or a little dialogue choice turn. If you call her grandma, she won't talk to you. Granny. <laughs> if you call her gorgeous, she'll inform you that she's not that old. But Mr. Sue is. And she lets you know that Mr. Sue likes to talk about a lot about the good old days. So it's then time to find old Sue Wang Zhu. He lives on Sunset Hill, which is just east of the Panda Market. I like this character. Yeah, he's funny. He's he's, he's funny, yeah. He's a funny old character. So a new path opens up just just behind uh, Conway's shop. And it takes you back back down towards the bell tower. And another path that leads over to the final area of Bailey Village you haven't seen yet, which is Sunset Hill. So it's now open for you to visit. So now the entire map is open for you, which is great. So you go over to Sunset Hill and you search for Sue Wang Sue. He lives in the house to the far back left. But actually, as a side point, his I think his daughter or relative is in the middle of that area. I think she's at the well talking, and you can speak to her. She says, "Oh, I'm I'm 
related to him. He lives over at this house over here. She points you in the right direction, which is a nice little touch. And you've also got another wood chopping area and you've got more sort of gambling bits and pieces, if you like, as well. Um, and I remember the, the darts music plays in the little, <laughs> little uh, restaurant there. Yeah, it's a bit, bit, bit random. Disconcerted a little bit, but yeah, it is what it is. I would have liked darts in the game, but we, I suppose That's true. it's there in a way. Um, mm. So he lives in the house at the back of the far left. You knock on the door and you meet Su Wen. And this is funny because he's sat there on this, like, I think, is it Ben? He's, like, <laughs> he's kind of like, reminds me of uh, Princess Leia. <laughs> she's she's lying at the end of Return of Jedi, isn't she? In the, do you know what I mean? Yeah. The little outfit. She's <laughs> and he's like, got like this, like, like that kind of tobacco thing as well. And he's smoking away. And he tells about a story when he was a boy with a, where the bridge was built. And he witnessed the, an imperial envoy sent by the emperor himself to enter Bailu village. And he will inform you that a man named Sun was also a young boy that day uh, when the imperial envoy arrived in Bailu village. And it's now time to search for Mr. Sun, which is probably one of my favorite bits in Bailu itself actually I mean I just uh, want to talk about what 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 do you think the the old emperor thing is like because obviously there's been some theory in the past where Shenfo is supposed to be a descendant or an ancestor of this emperor and obviously we had that little cut scene didn't we at the end of Shenmu 2 where um it's Shenfo and we supposedly a mum and dad like a real parents she's kind of like on that swing thing mm-hmm. the, the baby swing thing over the tree and in fact, you know, if it's meant to be the same Shenmue tree, which they they do say Shenmue tree, and the they've they named her after one of the leaves yes. that falls. Yeah. In the background is a massive temple kind of thing, and like an ancient yep. Chinese sort of environment temple thing, which kind of looks, you know, harks back to centuries ago, really old style China, and it's kind of interesting to see that. If we're assuming that Shenfu is only 15, 16, so you're talking 15 years since that whole imperial palace area is meant to have transformed into Shenfu's house, which is like a kind of rundown shack looking thing. Yeah. So it is an interesting point. I mean, one of the one of the points that's been made is that the the Verdant Bridge being built in 1910 isn't actually all that old. And actually the mirrors were commissioned around that time for the Imperial Envoy. But as, as you've sort of gone into, that Shenhua has this link to her relatives, to her past. And that that imperial, that temple that you're talking about, as you say, centuries old. So does the legend of the mirrors go beyond the mirrors themselves? That's a question I don't know. And we know from like the Shenmue Online trailer where, and also some early uh, CG artwork or whatever character concept artwork of Shenhua in a sort of like an imperial empress garments, that white garment thing. I'm just wondering if there's some sort of connection there where she's she's actually from <laughs> it's not time travel kind of thing, but you know what I mean? It's she's got some links to her ancestors of the past. It's there's some sort of there's some strange sort of thing going on there anyway. Yeah, it, there's there's a lot that's unexplained and I, I could just see that there's 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 a lot more that I think we will find out um, as time moves on with it. But again, it's it's just interesting that the mirrors are newer than we thought, but we're led to believe there's there's more behind it. Well, certainly, this is how I infer it. Anyway, that there's there's more than just these mirrors being 
being sat there from 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 1910 i think there's more going on there but that's just my humble opinion but i digress so the next job is we have to find mr sun and he's one of my favorite characters in this game <laughs> he's he's cheeky chappy isn't he? he's a cheeky sod and he doesn't care it's brilliant i love him he's brilliant so where where could mr sun be located so we go back and speak with the gorgeous kong may again <laughs> i love it <you. laughs> um she doesn't know where to find some but we reveal that he's good friends with grandmaster fang and one thing you also sort of pick up within panda market is actually um Grand, uh, son is a bit of a freeloader he's he's a bit of a troublemaker a bit of a cheeky sod and does what he wants basically so you go back to Tenari, uh Tenary Spring rather and you speak with Grandmaster Feng, he reveal that Son's taken up residence in an abandoned temple and you're thinking what abandoned temple because yep. um, we thought the whole map was open and the abandoned temple is just very well hidden and it's in Sunflower Grove and there's a path to walk down to it yeah, it's kind of like part of the maze, really, isn't it? If you find your way through there, it leads to this um, sort of eerie, kind of spooky sort of area with the temple. I know that I think it starts to get a little bit darker, actually, as you transition into this area and you start hearing the crows crowing and corking or whatever and yeah. uh, gravestones. It's just a bit haunting, really, that area. And it's interesting because Grandmaster Feng says, right, you're going to need some wine and buns to, to go get him out of the abandoned temple. So first things first, you need your wine and buns. So you yeah. go to Panda Market. You look for Liska, one that stands in the middle of the market. She sells for steam buns. You can get whatever you like. Great, just get some steam buns. And you can actually purchase any alcohol that you want from the woman behind the little girl for the alcohol. Again, Mr. Sun isn't picky, apparently. He just likes alcohol. It's kind of like, uh, again, traditional Shemu, where it's just, it's just kind of like um, making a quest longer than... It could it could be like you've got to do all these little extra things to to get Rio's next goal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it says here to buy three buns and three bottles of wine to save yourself some time. And I would recommend that's you good. do this. Yeah, that's There's a good point. A good reason. So you go back over to Sunflower Grove. You enter the Sunflower Field from the first entrance you can get into. Head in. You go right, then left. You go up um, through the flowers to the area behind the sunflowers you've got these steps and then as you say it says here they're eerie and you're quite right eerie steps it does yeah it's... you've got all these birds that fly away mm. uh the temples yeah it's old it's run down so you approach the offering box you lay down the wine, wine buns and rio hides but <laughs> even the guys yeah well, it's not really hiding is he? <laughs> it's not hiding like the little kids from earlier no no it's quite quite funny but um it triggers a cutscene, and Mister Sun sort of puts his hand out very sort of casually. He must be able to smell the the, yeah. the steam from the buns. Yeah. And Rio's like, "Wait, wait, wait!" He comes over, and and he gives Mister Sun will give you one question for every wine and bun that you offer him. You ask two questions right now. Um, you can ask him about the Verdant Bridge, which that is- does trigger a cutscene, doesn't it? An old yeah, fashioned cutscene, I'm sure. Yeah. Zooms in on the photo and talks about the, the village envoy coming in. He talks about his memories of the envoy. He says that uh, Mr. Sue and I think Elder Yeah were there as well. He mentions mm. that in that cutscene. It's funny because you can kind of see who they are as kids. Yeah. They've still got the same sort of moustache. And- <laughs> yeah, yeah. All the same hairstyle or whatever. Same hairstyle, at least, yeah, and clothing. And of. the other thing you can ask him 
is about martial arts because actually what Grandmaster Feng also sort of alludes to in your cutscene previously is they are actually training partners. Mm. So Mr. Sun is actually a martial arts master and he shows you the powerful Kung Fu move called the body check. He only shows it to you at this point. He won't teach it to you because he says you have, you're not ready for it. You're too slow. And it's interesting that he's all going on this training arc and he's like the drunken master. He reminds me of Shun D in, in uh, Virtual Fighter. Yeah. He's that drunken he master. It yeah. So it's, it's quite a nice touch, actually. And I'm, I'm, I'm skipping ahead a tiny bit here. But if you go back with the third bun and the third um, bottle of alcohol, you get a cut. You can trigger another question where he talks about a wow's time in the village, um, training the village, his training partner, and they suddenly disappeared. It sort of all just stopped. They didn't. Hmm. They left the village all of a sudden. So it's a nice little snippet into actually more the older villagers tend to remember a while being there even though they don't give you a lot about it they they remember him being there but they don't say how long he was there or anything like that so it's yeah well that's interesting that the you know you can do these extra things to learn a bit more of the lore and stuff there it's again it's kind of like Shenmue if you go out your way to speak to specific characters on certain days and do certain things you you do learn more about you know Rio's tasks and that sort of stuff yeah, it's exactly that, and it's just it's exactly Shenmue in, in every way, shape, and form, isn't it? If you, you take the time to to find these things out, you 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 get, you get some nice little tidbits here. Right, Matt, shall we have a quick music break? Do you think just before we yeah, continue? Yeah, let's, let's say we're about halfway through actually, which yeah. we're doing pretty well here. So uh, we'll have a quick music break here. We're going to play a song from Richard Cartledge now, and this song is. 3-6 from Shemu 1. Thank you. 
Okay, so that was a piece of music from Richard Cartledge. Like I said at the start of the show, in the news section, you check out his YouTube channel. He's, he's uploading loads of different songs, uh, basically recreations of Shenmue's iconic tracks, and it's well worth a subscription there to keep on top of all the little music that he's, he's, he's putting out. Some great stuff there. So let's continue our overview, our walkthrough through Bailey Village. So um, we've just seen Mr. Sun, well, Grandmaster... Well, we, we we actually told that he's a grandmaster, but uh, he's he's a master of martial arts. So he, he shows Rio the body check move. So the next thing we do is return to Shenfoy's house, and she alerts Rio that the thugs were spotted over at the hermit's nest, and this is the area where Yang Xing was hiding. Yang Xin, he's the uh, who, who's who's he again? Uh, he's the he's the stonemason, the last stonemason. Right. Um, how did we know he was hiding there again? Uh, because we went to Ki Jung Hao's house and he said that that's he was the last stonemason. We then went to Rainbow Basin, had the fight with the Mongolian wrestler and his mum picked Rio up and said that's where he is. And then we went over to Hermit's Nest, knocked on the door of the village uh, yep. meeting hall and he's, he's holed up in there. Fair enough. Okay, so Shenfoir will accompany Rio as you head for the Hermit's Nest. So even though it seems urgent, you can actually stop and do other things if you want to. Uh, obviously, there's sad quests throughout the the game, which we're not going to touch upon in this little walkthrough guide here, but we might cover the side quests again in the future. But when you arrive at the Hermit's Nest, you'll find the two grunt thugs. Uh, these are the, the blue, uh, blue spiders, are yeah, they called? The blue or? spiders. Yeah, the blue spiders, yeah. So... These two thugs are they're beating up the old folks that reside in the hermit's nest, and uh, this might be the first QTE of the game, right? Yeah, it is. In fact, you're quite right. So, solution here. I, I don't know if we need to say this, but it's it's circle and right, and it's actually quite a funny scene. Actually, if uh, it's the one where I think there's a guy who looks like he's he's taking a piss, <laughs> and uh, Rio taps him on the shoulder, and he he stops what he's doing to turn around, and uh, it's quite a cool little uh, QT cutscene. Yeah. It's very good, actually, and the the if the fail state is quite funny because if Rio gets it wrong, the guy sort of just looks at him, just punch him. <laughs> he looks down. Face. I think looks down Rack. at us. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So uh, after you've taken down both thugs, you'll lure out the boss thug, who was uh, we had a name for him actually, didn't we? Uh, we do. We, we do. His his name's Yangling or Yanglang even. Yang. Yeah. 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 And you, you lure out the boss thug and try to take him out by surprise. This fails, and you now have to fight the boss thug again. Like the first time that you fought the boss thug, you can't actually win. So even if you do beat him without taking damage, you'll get knocked out by him again. So it's like a kind of re- recurring theme here. These are a lot of unwinnable winnable fights uh, throughout Shenmue 3. It's kind of putting Rio in his place, kind of. He's, he's kind of got a bit of a cockiness, actually, Rio, I feel like. In, in Bailey Village, um, whether that's because he's been taught by all these masters on his journey so far, and he he thinks he's he's actually better than he is, and his his guards kind of down, even though he's he's supposed to be keeping his mind like a clear, polished mirror, <laughs> as it is. Um, but he he seems to be to lose into some of these larger thugs quite easily. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? And he's because he, he's so headstrong. It's right. He's he's not thinking straight. So I know there's there's criticism around Rio who's forgotten everything. He's taken out all these people in the previous games. But actually, you're not going to beat every person you come across in a fight. You're going to have to work out actually um, how to take these people down. And Rio, by not being calm and and being able to analyze a martial arts style, Rio can't at this point do it. 
he, he can't think clearly to look at the weakness of a martial artist and this is why he's being beat it's not really talked about in the game so much but that's my opinion on it yeah and also obviously game mechanics you can't just beat everyone from the start otherwise it'd be so easy wouldn't yeah. it you've got to you've got to lose and overcome some of these um defeats so when rio wakes up he realizes that the only way to defeat uh, the boss thug is to work on his kung fu and find someone who can help him again this kind of ha- happens later in the game as well it's kind of a recurring thing you just need to build your kung fu so your first stop will be at Marshall Hall. This is a dojo full of Kung Fu warriors, which we um, experienced a little bit at the start, like I say, that four sort of tutorial. And um, you are recommended to, to keep going back to there to, to train your Kung Fu. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's part and parcel of if you get into the routine of the game, you, you're sort of training gradually anyway. So if you aren't quite powered up enough now you have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, it says something quite funny here in the guide. Rio plus the five of them could easily overpower the boss dog. <laughs> but unfortunately, they will not help. Um, again, game mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> so they must not care that Yang Xing's life is in danger. <laughs> oh, that's Again, that's <laughs> just a funny thing. So if you haven't already practiced your Kung Fu, then this is the time to do it. Make sure you max out your endurance by completing all seven stages of both horse stance and one-inch punch. It's quite fun mini games, to be honest. I mean, perhaps not all in one go. So if yeah. you, you progress live, you know, do them as a daily routine kind of thing, you'll get there in no time. And you should also work on your attack tower, uh, attack power too by sparring people and mastering the move techniques that you can level up. And I think um, Mr. Tao sells a couple of extra moves and stuff that you can go by yeah. and train and get them maxed and out. You've got the economy system as well. So if you're picking up uh, herbs, you can toy capsules, you can trade them in to the pawn shop at Panda Market and get extra moves as well that way. Brilliant. So since the martial law was a bust, let's try Grandmaster Feng. He is after all the Grandmaster of Kung Fu. He should be able to defeat the boss all by himself, but once again, Yang Sing's life doesn't <laughs> appear to be that important. I love it. <laughs> it is true, but it's part of the game in yeah. it, really. So after being turned down by Feng, Rhea will remember the body check move that Sun showed him. So let's now go bring some wine and buns to Sun again. So if you've already bought them, you don't need to worry about that. Just head back to, to Mr. Sun and uh, see if he'll, he'll teach us the move. Yeah, and this sort of leads into the body check segment of of, of the game. It's all, this harks back, in my opinion, to sort of the 80s kung fu movies a little bit, where you're training, you, you, you're getting ready for the final fight, if you like. It's quite, quite cool. So you've arrived at the abandoned temple. You've got some wine and buns. He'll pretend to hide again. We'll define hiding in that, but (laughs) there we go. Um, He will agree to teach you the move. Someone will agree to teach you the move. Uh, It's a Baji Kwan signature move called the body check. If and only if Rio is willing to bring him some 50-year-old Lao Zhao. So... Just uh, incidentally, I think, with it saying the, the Baji Kwan signature move called the body check, if I'm not mistaken, is not not the move that um, Yu Suzuki got kind of hurt and broke his ribs? Because yes. uh, if, if you don't know, on phantomrotherstone.com and published it in the, the Shemu World magazine as well, these are uh, an ongoing series of Yu Suzuki's research trip, trip to China from like 1993, kind of four kind of era, just before he, he started working on Shenmue for the Saturn and ultimately the Dreamcast, obviously the story in his head. But um, 
he on his journey he he went to a lot of the places that Shemu covers like Hong Kong well not Hong Kong but I mean in China he's he went to Guilin and all these different parts of of China and on his travels there he did encounter a, a Bajiquan master and uh, he got really quite seriously injured um, as uh, he, he he asked the guy to actually demonstrate the move he he wanted to feel the force and impact himself so that he he knew what to put into I think Virtua Fighter 2 at the time and obviously it, it kind of continued into Shenmue here I think this is one of the moves that he must have really rated himself <laughs> uh, rated quite highly body check that he, he puts a whole story arc of this 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 move and it's, it's, it's cool as well because if you remember in Shenmue to um Zhuing teaches you it's demon's triangle although it's not in the game in Shenmue 3 unfortunately but that's part of the Baji Kwan uh, martial art as well so mm. it's nice and obviously you start to see that he's building up these signature moves and um sort of going to the virtual fighter era obviously Akira it's one of his signature moves within the game as well and for those right. of you who sort of followed Shenmue through. He obviously started his virtual fighter RPG with Akira as the main character and his martial arts style is Baji Kwan. So it's an it th- those links are still there. It's quite nice to see. So at this point you're thinking, okay, how how is this going to be? Um and you have to start finding what Lao Xie or I'm probably butchering that but never mind. So you go to the shops. Kong May's shop doesn't sell it. Um, you go to the alcohol shop in Panda Market, doesn't sell it. So you have to go to the Tao Get store, which is back near the Verdon Bridge. You go there and ask oh, how about it? And they'll tell you to look around, see if there's any. So when you enter the store, you can go to the right back corner, look down, there's a large basket with a lid on top, look at it, take the lid off, you find the wine in it, and it has a label on it. And the price tag is 2,000 yuan. Now... Is it is it two thousand yuan? And the if you play it on Nightmare, I feel like it might be five thousand. Five thousand. I know the reverse body check five thousand yaoi, but I think it's two thousand here on Nightmare. But I, I have to confess, I'm not a hundred percent sure. But I'll assume it is for, for this. Um, now, if you've sort of engaged in sort of jobs etc., um, then it's not too difficult to earn money. This is where you need to sell your herbs. This is where you need to trade in your toy capsules. This is where you need to chop some wood. Um, it is it is a contentious point in the economy system in the game. I know some people found it quite harsh. Um, even even Ryan Payton in the interview I did with him talked about it being quite a harsh economy. Um, mm-hmm. So it's it's just something that I think divided opinion a little bit. It's one of those things. I think if you engage with it consistently through the game, it's not so bad. But if you don't realise where this is going and you you haven't got much money, then you've got a lot of work to do in terms of fishing as well and 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 wood chopping and all the rest of it but i will say shenmue 2 does this twice as well with the 500 uh dollars to meet ren and the 500 dollars to get the first fight of the three yeah rod stunt or whatever yeah so it does do it twice i just if buts and maybes it's probably discussion for another time so we're going to assume that we've been good and we've engaged and we've done all this sort of stuff we have the money because rio's loaded yep you buy it you go back and return it and hand it over to him. And then Mr. Sun will now ask you to catch chickens. And you have to catch Ooh. 10 chickens. <laughs> now, this is a bit this the is guy, fun. Yeah, the guy says good exercise, test your QTE skills. And the QTEs in this game are notoriously hard. Some of them are really tough. I mean, 
do it. I did this on hard mode when I played the game originally, and I would have between a third and a quarter of the time left. I've done this on nightmare mode. Uh, my God, my I, I th- my controller. I don't know how it's still in one piece. <laughs> so the time is it's, even more it's limited. Horrible, but. Right. So the QTE is you have to run to the chicken, you get a quick QTE of either triangle, square, circle, X, or Y, B, X, A, depending on the controller yeah. you're using. You press it, you pick the chicken up, you have to catch 10. Job done. So after you caught the 10th chicken, you're told to go home and come back again. And you're sort of sat there going... It's like a slap of the face, isn't it? Yeah, it's like, yeah, thank you very much. I'll go away. Um, and you have two options here. You can either fast track it and go back home, or you can you can do some mini games or whatever you want. And the the guy makes a difference. <laughs> Just read that. Yeah, Yang has been in enemy hands for how many days now? They really don't care about it. <laughs> <laughs> it is true, but it's 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 Shenmue with a yeah a oh. real time system. I suppose there's there's been elements of that in the past, really, where you know you can funny about <laughs> where he stays opening toy capsules and stuff while you're supposed to be hunting for landies long gone <laughs> yeah it's funny isn't it but yeah you just sort of, you, you look at it and go it's Shenmue you nod and carry on don't you <laughs> yeah so the next day you can return to Sun and hope that he teaches you the body check move this time he will get you to practice the horse stance so you must create the round of training to the horse stance and then he will get you to do the chickens it's kind of it is good though. I know it was annoying at the time, and obviously, like I say, it's a slap in the face. But it is. It's Shenmue. It's concepts. It's you, you Suzuki trying to instill this patience aspect into the into the game. And obviously, uh, Mister Sun here, he's he's trying to encourage Rio to to keep his his focus, kind of like what Shuing was doing in in Shenmue Two as well, where you know you'll get there eventually. You just need to be patient and. You know, learn this patience. It's an overarching theme, really. Yeah, it is very much so. And so you do that, and then you're told, right, sod off, um, come back, um, come back the next day. And actually, it makes a point here. I didn't realize this. On day one, you catch the chickens by using square or circle. But on day two, it introduces the third button. So you have to press right. triangle. I didn't realize that. Okay. No, I didn't touch them. So, and then as the 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 day after, it introduces the axe as well. Then. Yeah, so it does it again. It makes it harder. Mm. Um, so after day two, you can go back home, or you can do what you need to do. And the guy again makes another jab at it, but we'll leave it there. And this the the night bit of this bit is interesting. Actually, Rio and Shenhua start talking about what he's doing, and Shenhua's trying to pep Rio up a bit because he's obviously a bit depressed. He's not learning this move and he's got a battle to save Yangzi's life because no one else is going to do it, it seems, in this village. Um, so they start talking and Rio starts sort of talking through what he's learning. And he's saying, oh, the chickens, it's, it's how I... He's obviously teaching me to move quick at a low base. And the horse stance is, is, you know, is obviously the stance for the, for the move. So it's he's slowly starting to twig. And it goes back to that point you just made, James, that... You, that it's building, it's patience, it's it's making those links to to the bigger goal, if you like, and it's it, it's very Shenmue in that respect. So, third day, you go to return for his help, and this time instead of horse stance, he will ask you to do the rooster step, which is a new martial arts mini game you get introduced to at this point. Yep. So the concept here is to use the right analog stick 
to control a straight line protruding from the center in like a set area as Rio mm-hmm. walks around the circle you basically have to follow it and it's sort of teaching him steps but I'll come to that in a minute so you follow it around you complete the task and then you'll then have to I believe I don't remember it says here I might be wrong it says here you have to catch chicken straight away but I thought he got you doing horse stance as well again possibly yeah, yeah. I think he has you doing horse stance again as well I can't remember um completely my memory's a little bit hazy there but we'll see and that was in that was in one of the trailers as well where he sort it looks like he's whacking rio with a stick kind of yeah it's (laughs) like telling you to do the the, yeah he's got his stick out he's got he's got it leveled out it's the magic monaco 2019 trailer again yeah that one um assume he does four starts then you then catch the chickens you have the added fun and games of x added into now four buttons so it's it's really it can be so once you catch the tenth chicken, um, you are then he then agrees that you can be taught the body check. So the first step is to dodge your opponent's attack and circle around to to strike. Rio do Rio will do the dodge automatically when you perform the move. Then the body check is completed by a QTE sequence that appears on the screen, um, just like when you practice kung fu by sparring with people, and you have to press them in order. So it's pretty quick as well. So for the benefit, it's triangle, circle, X, square, circle. Yep. Which is really tough the first time you do it. But luckily here, if you fail it, you just repeat it. And It's one of those action QTs where it stops and goes... Yeah. It starts back to Shenmue 2, doesn't it, in that respect? Yeah. And then after learning the special move, he then tells you why it was brought to catch your chickens and all the other bits of training that you've done. Um, and he also says that, that you can't, is, you know, martial arts shouldn't be half baked. Um, the body check, you know, you've you only just learned it. Um, so it may not be as powerful as you would be anticipating. Mm-hmm. And you need to keep training, which is a common theme through all the Shenmue games. So you now have an option here. You can go straight to Hermit's Nest to save Yang Zing, or you can wait and do something else, whatever you want to do. If you're not trained up at this point for the fight, I would suggest you do some training first because then you go into your fight with Yang, Yang Lang. So you go over to the Hermit's Nest and it's boss thug fight time again and to try out your new move. So as you approach the Hermit's Nest, a cinema will play. Um, you beat up the two thugs that you've beaten up before. So if you've maxed yep. out your Kung Fu, you can dispatch them pretty quickly in a free fight. And then once you've done that, the boss comes out. Yang Lang comes out, voiced by Brad Venables, who I've mentioned before. And you have to fight him in a free battle. Only this time, you actually have to beat him. So if you lose, you have to repeat the fight, basically. Yeah. And if you've leveled up your moves, it's not too hard. But what I will say is um, he is quite tough in some of the, the sort of his hit damage is quite, quite significant. So you need to sort of hit and move with these sorts of fights, this sort of mm. fight at least. And imagine like nightmare mode's probably even yeah, you know, stupidly hard. It's quite you know, tough. It's a boss fight. Yeah. If, you if you haven't trained, you take some damage off you pretty quickly. So once you've beaten the boss, the uh, cinema will play, and you'll use the body check move on him. The QTE appears on the screen. The action QTE appears, and then you flatten him with the body check. And it looks really like, to be fair, it looks really really good. Yeah, I like that. how you stab him in the thing and it goes doosh, doosh, doosh on the screen like, you know, that proper harks back to Shenmue 2 
you know, with the the kanji symbols that appear on the screen, kind of thing. Yeah, it's really nice. And actually, sending fly. Bearing in mind, the guy's quite a big guy. Um, for Rio to sort of generate that power for it, I don't know. It's quite a nice touch. It's quite nice. Now, it then goes into another cutscene where Rio grabs him, like, right, what's going on here? And there's another QTE which you just have to press right on the on your D pad or, or analog stick. And actually, mm. what's happening here is. Chai, who I forgot turns up at Rainbow Basin when you fight the thugs the first time because he's sat on the roof. Chai um, tries to hit you with a baseball bat. You get the QTE right, and he smashes Yang Lang in the face with the um, baseball bat. (laughs) (laughs) So so is that trying to say that Chai's working with these blue spiders, do you think, or is he his own separate entity? It's weird because it's not, at this point, it's not really alluded to. And I'm not totally sure with Rio's reaction to it, whether he's just, oh, it was him again, or it's almost like he's forgotten who he is. Because bear in mind, Rio has um, counter, uh, his elbow assaulted, not counter elbow assault, he's out, used the normal elbow assault to smash him into the into the sea in Japan. He's then thrown him off the boat in the boat chapter, which obviously is the, the comic for anybody who, who doesn't know with the Xbox version, as you, you unlock at the end of the game. Yeah. So you think he'd know who he was by now? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit. It is a bit weird that. I mean, I I I don't know whether or not Chai is just shoved back in for fan service, really, just because he's he's kind of like a uh, iconic character that a lot of people wanted to see again, kind of thing. And obviously, oh, yeah. like you say, the the comic, we do know he's still alive, but at the end of the comic, he's defeated again. So I don't know. It's if if you were just playing the games. Uh, Chai should really be a shock, like how are you still alive, kind of thing, because he's been smashed into the water, and a lot of Shemi fans thought, you know, he's he's been defeated, he's he's dead or whatever. And then suddenly see him again. I I wanted that kind of reaction from Rio, like you know, holy crap, it's it's Chai again, kind of thing. But uh, he just doesn't really know who he is. <laughs> uh, I mean, what I will say actually, in terms of Chai, the model and everything, actually Chai's model looks really really good. I thought it was one of the one of the better models in the games, and actually his animations and the way he moves is, is spot on. It is Shenmue One Chai in terms of the movements and all the rest yeah. of it. I thought it was. I thought the model and the and the animation here was very well done. So the voice actually isn't too bad either. But I just no. feel like the voice is a little bit um, maybe a little bit too uh, unintelligent sounding. Like in in the first game, obviously you can have proper conversations with Chai. In the cutscenes, Rio's proper talking to him, and he's got quite a lot to say in the first game. But in Shemo mm. Three, he comes off a little bit like dumb, like me chai, me chai kind of thing. It's yeah, it's a bit funny. I don't, I don't know why or what, what the sort of thinking was behind that, really. But it's, uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, I agree with what you're saying there. I do think that considering you, he talks about working, wanting to work for Landy in Shenmue One, you'd think that they'd might have been a bit more possibly around why he turned back up, how he turned back up and what his sort of end goal was. But yeah. I mean, that also might come into budget cut scenes, et cetera. So but, he's still kind of working for Landy. It seems who's, does he know he knew in the first game that Rio was holding the the mirror, the Phoenix mirror. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see again, that's not referenced either. So it's, no. it's funny, but it's, yeah, it's, it's something that I think they could have developed more. Um, but they again, they know this. This has been talked about through the interviews that I've done and sort of things that have been in the press with, with Yuzuzuki as well. 
So, it would have been quite interesting if we'd learnt a little bit more about Chai and the fact that he's been following Ryo this whole time still. So in Hong Kong, he followed him to Hong Kong, he's followed him to Kowloon, you never know. He's always been lurking in the shadows. Yeah, for And he's followed him to Bailu Village. So it's, it's interesting. I'd like to have seen it fleshed out more, but it's a shame. But again, it's not I would, It's not sort of a hill I'd sort of plant my flag on and go, you know, this is a disgrace or anything. It's, it's, it, it would have been nice. If you think of the the DLC, the the big boat in the Awu, the the casino looking boat thing, yeah, there's actually a, a little bit of a I don't know if it's an Easter egg kind of thing that it looked like Chai had smuggled himself in on that boat. It did, didn't um, it? You yes. know, in the in the bottom where the the, the fat kid is, um, it's like a, a little secret passageway room kind of thing under the ship's docking area, and it's uh, it's a little bed and a photo of Chai again, I think, or something. It's interesting, isn't it, how they did that, but. Yeah. Anyway, we got. Oh god, we went off a massive tangent. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> As we do. As we do. Um, so you've defeated the boss. Uh, Shirin and Leo turn up, and the, the gatekeepers that you met before. They tie the boss up while the other grunts run off scared. Yang Zing is now free at last. Yay! His life is now saved. You, he has not been killed over six, seven days of training. And everyone's happy. Every, everyone's happy. Um, the guy oh, makes 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 a point. <laughs> So how many days or weeks was he held hostage in your game? The rest of the town just went on like nothing happened while Rio worked hard to rescue. It's true. Oh, it's so tongue in cheek. <laughs> Poor I, find it, I find it really funny. I like it. Poor man. Poor man. So the next game, part of the game involves uh, Rio, Shunhai, Leo and Shiran interrogating the Thogwest, whose who name is Yang Lang. You have to ask mm, him about each of four subjects on the screen, his identity, his boss, his objective and Yuan. After each time you ask him about you learn absolutely nothing. And this is a very interesting bit coming up. Shenhua will then request a really leave her alone with Yang Lang. And everybody's a bit like, are you sure about this? Yeah. And they go, and she's like, no, no, it'd be fine. And while you're waiting outside, you hear Yang Lang scream. <laughs> and when you enter the, the room again, he will be visibly scarred and carrying his chair. So the query here is, this discussion board, what did Shenhua actually do to him? Mm, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's... It's one of the few times in Shenmue 3 that kind of it could introduce Shenhua's powers again that we, we saw at the end of Shenmue 2 where she's magically raising daisies or whatever, dandelions, and, you know, magically getting a floating sword to go in, you know, all this sort of stuff that we, we're still not sure what what's the, the thing with Shenhua, like what who is she, what you know, what what's going on with her. And this just adds more f- fuel to that fire, really. Like, what, how she, what she done to, to change this dude's mentality, in such a way that he's he's visibly scared and carrying his chair, kind of thing. It's it's funny, isn't it? Because it, it almost talks about like mind powers. Because the, the cut mm. scene, obviously, sort of, I think it has half her face in it, doesn't it? And her eyes change, and then all of a sudden he starts screaming at you, and. I'd be very, very interested to see where they take that because there's another point in the game with Niao, which we'll touch on in probably another episode, um, where it's implied that she does something very similar. But we'll we'll leave that leave that there. It's an interesting point. I think it probably harks back to her sort of mystical powers that have been talked about within Shenmue Online, the trailer there, the fact that we know she can relate to her ancestors in some way and contact them. So there's something going on there. Some sort of mind power. Yeah, well, it's interesting anyway, and I think I'd love to see it fleshed out in Shen before. So, 
we go back to, obviously you ask the same questions again and he'll spill the beans basically um which is great so you, it turns out that he was hired to capture uh, mr yuan um he wasn't going to reveal who his boss was because he was scared of them because of you know they they'll um basically kill him which Mandy? It could have been, or but we we don't know at this point. It's not mentioned. They don't mention names too much here. I can't even think the Chi Men is is named explicitly here. It might be, but I can't remember. But if anybody's listening to this and and can remember the cut scene, do do let us know in in the comments. Um. So what happens though is he says at the end that Yang Lang will say that uh, Chai is headed for Audi Air's house. So that then opens up your next task. For, to go to LDA's house. Now you don't in game. It's considered you have to rush over here, but actually you can you can sort of do your side quests and stuff as well. It's not time limited. This bit it doesn't force you to do it straight away. But assume that you carry on. You yeah. go to LDA's house, and a cinematic will kick off, where Rio will show LDA the mirror. And she will ask how he got it. And Rio says, because my father was killed and I got this mirror and it's brought me to this village. She kind of feels it, doesn't she? Because like yeah. we say, she's she appears to be blind. So she's kind of feeling the design of the mirror and she, well, she immediately kind of knows what it is, doesn't she? Seems. Yeah, she straight away knows what it is. She always intrinsically picks it up, which is interesting. And then she invites uh, Rio and Shenhua in and she says, right, you need to find six tokens in, in my house. And go up to the to um, the bell tower. Yeah, um, it's kind of like um, five stars corpse thing, isn't it? With uh, Yuanda Zhu's room at the yeah. top of the ghost hall building, where you've got to search under pots and that sort of stuff for these these tokens. Yeah, very much so. It, and the the guide we've got in front of us tells you where they all are. Um, mm, it's pretty good. So it's quite quite handy if you can't find. But the the way I did this. I just literally worked, I sort of worked in an anti-clockwise direction just around the whole room and everywhere and I picked them up that way so I didn't miss them. So I'm not going to go through it like now, but that's how I did it so you don't miss them. Yeah, it's interesting, the designs of them, you've got alcohol, moon, Mm. dragon, crane, sword and fist, which obviously play a, a bit of a role in a minute. Yes, they do. So once you collect all the tokens, another cinematic plays and LDA will instruct you to climb the bell tower of the six tokens. Now, depending on what time of day you do this, um, I think if it's past the morning, you have to come back the following day, which is worth Mm. noting. But once you go to trigger the bell tower section, this is the point of no return, and the game will give you a a message to say, have you done everything in Bailu Village that you want to do? And if you click yes, you then climb the bell tower, and it then takes you on to the bell tower quest. James, did you want to pick that one up? Yeah, sure. So, obviously, um, you can hold off the story for now if there's any loose ends that you want to tie up. Obviously, there's side quests in Byla Village, but even even they're quite timed, time-based, so mm. you may have already missed some that are linked to certain aspects of Rio's story up, up until this point, but there's probably a couple that you can maybe do just before you trigger the Bell Tower sequence. So, whatever you're satisfied that you've completed everything, you want to continue uh, with Byla Village, and it's time to climb the Bell Tower. And this is kind of the, the thing that's always been iconic in Bailu Village, kind of just this sort of ancient bell tower there that's Rio kind of immediately sees as he entered the village square at the start. It's 
you know, it's like the backdrop to Viley Village, basically. And uh, in fact, it was it was something that I tried to try and climb <laughs> at the start of the game. I, I bet you all, everyone tried to yeah. see if they could climb it. And now it's it's actually open now. So once you climb the bell tower, you'll be faced with a puzzle. So on each of the six corners is a picture with a slot underneath it. So I'm trying to think what the puzzle is. So you've got six tokens. Oh, it's the, it's it is the one where you use the tokens that you found yeah. from Aldea's house. Okay, so you've got to insert them in the correct slot. It is rather easy. I know it does require a little bit of thinking um, to see that the the token matches with the picture. So obviously you've got the hand slot. So the matching kind of tokens, the fist, the phoenix slot, the matching tokens, the dragon, which makes sense, dragon and phoenix. The turtle slot matches with the crane, which I think could be um, kind of, I don't know if there's other theories that I've heard that are like, there's, there's actually four mirrors and there's like a, a turtle and a crane design as well. I'm not sure, but I know there was um, possibly, or or I'm trying to think, what was the Yuanda Yo- Zoo, the, the four things, there was a... A phoenix dragon was it a crane and a tiger? Yeah, I'm, and I'm pretty sure they're related to the heavenly beasts, aren't they? These. Yeah, that was true. Yeah, incidentally, whatever I'd, I'd, I may have heard that incorrectly, but yeah, turtle matches with crane, and then you've got a shield slot with the token, obviously sword and shield. So you use the sword shield, the sword token, sorry, and then you've got the sun slot, and obviously that matches up with the moon token. And finally, a little funny one, the buns <laughs> slot obviously matches with the, the alcohol, wine and buns. <laughs> so if you put all six six tokens in the correct slots, this now lowers the ladder for you to climb up. So you're advancing up at the bell tower. So on the upper floor, you've got another puzzle. So there's like a sort of like a, well, it calls it a wheel repository kind of thing in the middle. And it's got six sides, and each side has an image on it. Each of the six sides has an image that represents both the token and the slot it went into. Uh, there is, however, one picture that does not represent a token or slot. So you can identify it easy because it's the only picture that has a slot underneath it. So you look at the pictures and initiate a cinematic, and your next step is to move the large object either left or right in the correct sequence to unlock it. So you you got a, a piece of paper from Aldier's house that's got the solution on it, with the exception of one step, which is kind of worn off, or is it got an ink smudge or something on? Yes, an ink smudge. Yeah. So that that's the solution to the puzzle, which is circle, 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 square, 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 circle, circles. That's just like turning it in the direction that was on the the actual piece of paper mm-hmm. with the solution. Obviously, you have to guess the last one or the last couple or whatever. So if you do it correctly, it reveals reveals a scroll. Uh, it's kind of like the whole thing sort of um, opens up and the, the scrolls appear. Uh, I don't know if you can remember a little bit more about this the scene, Matt. There's... Scroll appears, they grab it, and then mm. I think... Does it kind of like uh, vibrate? It's like the bell tower, like... Yeah, it does. It sort of vibrates a little bit and it pops open. And then they... they Because they use a sword... It pops open a slot for the Sword of Seven Stars, I think. That's right, yeah. So that's where we use the... The, the new dagger of seven stars that, that Rio slides into the slot. Uh, I think think because the slot's got the um, it's got the symbols on it. It's like the, the symbols like the pattern of the the sword on there. So that that's a telltale sign to use the sword. And then you get the scroll. So you take the scroll back to Aldier, and um, is a quite a nice cutscene actually where she's looking over the scroll and says, you know, what is it kind of like? She sees the the uh, elephant sort of yes. rock thing, doesn't she? You know the 
I forgot what it's called, the elephant sort of rock that's synonymous with Niawu and that's where she, she tells, instructs Rio and Shenfua to, to head to next, basically. Yeah, exactly that. And she she gets Shenhua to talk her through the, the scroll. It also makes reference, I think, briefly to the Cliff Temple as well, but not a, not a whole lot else. But the, the sort of the, the the elephant rock is is the next part of the journey, if you like. And she says, um, "Oh, Niawu is, is where you need to go. You need to go with Rio to Niawu." Um, so that's quite quite nice. It's very again, it's it's a very Shenmue cutscene, isn't it? You're sort of finding all this information out now about what's going on, where people are off, and and where you're going to next. They're just following this this trail of clues, really, aren't they? Mm. Like, you know, there's no other rhyme or reason to head to Niawu apart from that they've got the scroll that depicts Niawu. So, you know, that's that's why they're recommended to head to head there next because they've got nothing else to actually go off of. No. no. Um, so yeah, and then as you as you leave Aldier's house, you've um, um, ambushed by Chayu. You know, you were told earlier that he was he was heading over to the house, so it's took him a little bit of time to get there <laughs> but he's he showed up now and uh yeah actually have a, a QT here just to defeat him and then after you defeated him rio interrogates chai and learns that the missing stone ta- uh, stone masons are actually taken to to niawu so um not only were you heading there anyway because of the scroll you now have an actual goal that the stone masons are to be found in niawu as well yeah, and that's basically the end of Bailu Village. It is, and you get once he's interrogated Chai, you get the sort of transition cutscene where I, th- I think I'm going to try to remember the prophecy is being spoken by by Shenhua, and yeah. Rio is at martial hall and he's practicing martial arts. He's he's, he's practicing away. It's actually light, really nice cin- cinematography used here. It's kind of like very typical Shemu cinematography with the cameras spanning around and yeah, it's it, yeah, it fits in perfectly with the, the cinematography used in the other games. And my one criticism is give me more of it because it's lovely. But again, it's yeah. really it's expensive to do this sort of thing, um, which again comes into your budget, of course. But it's very Shenmu, and then then Aldia has you says what well, you need to go to Niawu, and it sort of. You've got Rio and Shenhua looking up at the moon in the bell tower and the camera sort of pans up and then it sort of fades away and then you kick straight in, you have the loading screen, then you kick into the Niawu um, um, opening cutscene, which I think we will cover in another episode. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've done well to squeeze all of Bailey Village into this single episode. I uh, hope you've enjoyed listening to that um, sort of an overview guide of Bailey Village as a whole and basically talking through that whole half of the game and uh, if you do watch this podcast on youtube as well i make sure to add in the cutscenes and all the little bits and bobs of what we're talking about which is a kind of nice um thing to follow through with the the talking we've just done yeah so yeah well done matt that was really really good to go through the game actually i mean if you think about it think about the story points as a whole i suppose that this this the major story aspects of Bailu are in search of Yuan, finding yeah. out that uh, he's been kidnapped along with other stonemasons. The next goal is learning about the history of the Verdant Bridge, the Emperor, uh, some nice cutscenes there, finding out that your father trained in Bailu Village from uh, Grand Master Feng. 
and uh, then learning the body check move from Mr. Sun to be able to defeat the guy that's um, kidnapped another stonemason who then informs you that Chai's on the way to Aldier's house, which is ultimately where you figure out the Baltabra stuff. Um, yeah. So, I mean, story-wise, story it's, it's typical Shemu, isn't it? It's like detective trying to find out what's going to happen next uh, with these overarching story elements as well. Yeah, it, it very much is, and it just, it just fits into the themes of the first first two games in terms of its play style and in terms of just everything, what you do. I mean, I've, I've said this before, I think, if you play Shemmy 1, 2, and 3 back-to-back, they fit perfectly in terms of the way they're presented, which is a really big compliment to Shenmue 3, given the given the 18-year wait that we had. And Bailey Village, for me, is, it, it, I love it. It's... It, it's one of these areas. I don't. I don't know why. I can't put my finger on it, but it's just a place I really like to be. Yeah, it is. It's nice. I mean, the whole Guilin and Guilin Shemu two throw, flowing into Shemu 3's Bailey Village. It's as a whole that is uh, encompassing of that whole chapter in the the Shemu story. I don't know what chapter we're up to. Is it five or whatever? Mm. Four or five or whatever. But the whole of Guilin and Bailu is considered one chapter. And uh, yeah, I agree. I think Bailu Village, it's a very nicely designed village. Like like we said it earlier, it's it's a lot bigger than I was expecting it to be. And uh, you know, I, I just think they did a really great job of uh, continuing this, the story elements there and um, creating this village for, for Rhea to explore. Um, yeah, I think they did a great job. Yeah, I th- I think they did a good job with Bailey Village, and it it feeds in well to Niawu and and what's going to take place there. So that was a very good deep dive into Bailey Village. There, I uh, hope you've enjoyed this episode. So we're going to end close this episode off with a piece of music. I uh, hope you join us again next time, probably in around about a month's time, where we might we might continue this style and uh, head into Niawu and. Do the same talk through Niawu. Let us know if you enjoyed this episode and doing this deep dive discussion into Bailu Village's half of the game. Um, but yeah, so we're going to close out with a piece of music. So it's going to be another Kitchen Brothers track and it's called Fan Twanzi.
So just wanted to say thanks again, guys, for continuing to listen to the podcasts, to, to subscribing to the, to the feed, picking up all of Matt's interviews, and obviously these monthly long-form discussion episodes of Shemu in general with news and everything like that. So I really appreciate the, the subscriptions and all the, 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 the feedback on each of the episodes and hope that you continue listening to us. So from myself, James, uh, you know, thanks and see you next time, I guess. See you next time, everyone. Ah, oh, look at the time. 